Hey, good. Hey, Sam. How's it going? Welcome to the Celluloid Ashram. Oh, thank you. Oh, and <laughs> good to hear your voice. Yeah, you too, man. Well, uh, where are you? You're in New Zealand right now? Yeah, in New Zealand, in Auckland at the moment, up in the North Island. How long have you been up there? Uh, I've been here for uh, over a year now. I've been in the South Island mainly, down in... Uh, Nelson at the top of the South Island, but I came up to the North Island two months ago just to, to do a bit of work up here. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. Yeah. You're, you're uh, in remote locations as we, as anybody who follows you can see, which yeah. is bizarre because technology has caught up to our isolation, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's quite crazy. Like I didn't think I would be here this long, but, uh, but yeah, yeah. and I'll probably be here for a little bit longer. I got I have to redo my US visa now, and so it's kind of worked out kind of nice to to stay back here and do that, and then also work on a bunch of New Zealand projects which I haven't done in a while. Oh, has it? Uh, has your visa expired? Uh, expires in uh, August. Oh, okay. Well, okay. Mm. Yeah, that's uh, a couple months here. Um, yeah, yeah. So uh, to um, I wanted to talk to some people who really, really are committed to film and ask them why they're committed to film. So obviously I work with you in some capacity with film. So I was like, oh man, I got to talk to Sam because of all people who really flex cinema and celluloid, I, I would say you really experiment with the, with the medium. Uh, yeah, specifically, I, I couldn't uh, film anything else. I'd say. <laughs> that, that's, um, that's awesome, man. Like, um, so I wanted to ask, first of all, how did you get your start? Uh, I think the way, uh, the thing that got me into it, uh, funnily, funnily enough, was uh, like Lomo cameras and stuff. Because I, ever since I was like nine, I always wanted to make films. And uh, since I was uh, uh, at that age and, and got a handy cam and started making home movies and getting into making films and stuff, I always kept up with technology. Like I remember, I remember like when I was a teenager and and the the red cam came out, and I remember being like thinking that was the greatest thing ever. Like I remember being on that kind of a a, a buzz for a long time, and then uh, and then it was around like when I was around nineteen or something. I. <laughs> Hello? Yeah, you are really remote. Oh, cool. <laughs> so you Sorry. were 19, uh, let's backtrack uh, when you were 19. Yeah, and then uh, I remember I was in Australia at the time. I was living in Sydney and because uh, I did film school there. And I had a, uh, I had a friend I was with and we were at the shop and I saw like one of those little Lomo fisheye cameras. And okay. uh, I, I was like, man, that's a cool camera. And then I, I remember my friend who was with me, uh, Paul, I think his name was, he was, uh, he was, like, oh, I'll buy it for you to do on this camera. I was like, yeah, I guess so. Like, I, I remember I didn't have a lot of money back then. And I, and I really wanted this camera because I thought fisheye was so cool. And uh, I guess it sort of came from watching skateboard films when Game I was a kid yeah. and stuff and having fisheye yeah. thing. 
so I got that and that kind of got me into to experimenting on film because because uh, the whole thing that Lomo like the company kind of pushed was to experiment with film like double exposures and light painting and all these kind of things and then I, I worked out uh, how like much you could do with it and then uh, I remember it was only a few years later and then I, I shot my first music video on 16mm on an SR2 and, uh, and then I could never go back since then and then I kind of took those, uh, what I'd learned from shooting still film and uh, experimenting with it and just tried to push it and push it and push it more uh, with motion picture. I remember like some of the first things I was experimenting with was uh, shooting like red scale motion picture, like loading yeah. uh, loading 500T backwards through the camera and overexposing it 13 stops, I think, to get it through <laughs> like the, <laughs> something like that and like finding, yeah, yeah that kind of yeah. stuff. And then, yeah. If anyone's ever done red scale, it basically, yeah, it looks like you're on Mars, right? Yeah. It's like so red. Um, so after that, uh, did you uh, did you buy a camera right away, or was that SR2 just a loaner? Did you borrow, like, wh where did you get the SR2? Yeah, so we hired that, and uh, I was working with a cinematographer, uh, Sam Irwin, at the time, and... Um, and we shot that and I remember getting the footage back and just being like, wow, I can never go back to digital now because uh, <laughs> it's just nice. so much better. And, uh, and that kind of just started the, uh, started the, the whole film thing for me, I guess. And, and uh, I immediately started researching uh, what a good starter camera would be to buy. And so my first camera I bought was a, uh, a, a K3, which most people... This most people's first 16 millimeter, I think. Um, I never shot a roll through that thing. Uh, and so I sold it and then I uh, saw a picture of uh, Jean-Luc Godard with a, with a Bolu R16. So I thought that's the camera I'll get because that's cool because I love Jean-Luc Godard. So I bought that and then that was terrible. Horrible <laughs> battery lasted about three seconds. It's just like the worst right. camera ever. Uh, I had a good Ongino lens on it though, and uh, so I sold the lens for about triple the amount I bought the camera for to some guy okay. that had like a black magic pocket or something. And uh, what, year, what year are you talking about here? What year are you talking about? What um, year are you looking at film cameras? Yeah. Oh, sorry. What was that? Uh, what year are you looking at these cameras? What year oh, is it? This would have been 2012, I would say. Okay, yeah. fairly recent. Fairly recent and kind of the, the, the year where film died, wasn't it? 2012, 2013, yeah. that was kind of the, the crash yep. of it. And, uh, and then I brought a Bolex. So I remember my, uh, I remember the, the company that I was working with, the film company Curious Film in New Zealand at the time, uh, there was a guy who, who part owned the camp, company called Daryl Ward and he was a DP and also a director and he shot, he grew up shooting film and he used to shoot lots of uh, music videos uh, on uh, on a Bolex. Like he, he, he even shot a Beastie Boys clip in New Zealand on a Bolex, I remember he was showing me. Wow. And, uh, and so he gave me uh, he gave me one of his Bolexes, which was that one that I showed you quite recently. It was from like 1926. 
Oh my God. And uh, yeah. <laughs> really, really old one. <laughs> and, uh, and then he told me to, uh, to get a more modern one, I guess. So I bought a Rex 4, a Reflex 4. And that's kind of what I learned on. But I remember when I first got a Bolex thinking how scary they look because they're so technical yeah. looking. Yeah. And I remember being like, oh, I don't want this. Like I, I, I would rather a, uh, a simple camera. And so I remember not liking the Bolex when I got it and then just, just going and buying a Scoopit because the Scoopit just to me, it looked like a massive Super 8 camera. And, uh, yeah, but, yeah. and it, yeah, it, does. it seemed yeah. easy. So I, I just shot everything on a Scoopit for the next couple of years and then uh and then wow. i finally moved to bolex and then i was like what was i doing like uh, on the scoopic the bolex is a thousand <laughs> times better because <laughs> you can actually you can put a lens on the thing change lenses yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and also like you had yours modified to super 16 yeah yep yeah i got a got a super 16 and uh with the uh with with the bayonet um mount which i think is essential um, did they did they switch that out for you or did did no no I, I found a, a uh, yeah I found a, a, a camera that was yeah it was the SBM so oh yeah um, yeah but my dream one which I can't find is the uh, the SB the sixteen SB with the round yeah. top I don't yeah. like the magazine tops on them but that, 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 uh, that it's funny be... you're you're the only one that doesn't like that magazine top. Everybody else has oh. the magazine top. Yeah, the EVMs have the magazine top. And I was like, I'm with you, man. I like the whole, it, it's within itself. But I think they just like the flexibility of having a 400 foot, footer if, mm. if needed, you know? Yeah, the SB is the best. Spring bayonet. Spring bayonet. And, and magazine, I don't like. <laughs> but I, I yeah. just can't seem to find it. It's such an impossible camera to find. Right, that's your. If you found it, you'd instantly buy it. Yeah, instantly buy it. If anyone's got okay. one of those cameras, hit me up. <laughs> yeah. So, um, backtracking a little bit. So, when you looked at the footage, uh, what were you thinking? Were you thinking like this is what I think? I like usually when I, people look at a movie, say they they go, "Well, my stuff doesn't look like that stuff you see in movies," right? Mm. So when you look at your footage, were you saying this is what a movie looks like? That's definitely or... like my first thoughts. Yeah. Okay. Sixteen millimeter was like this looks like a seventies movie. Okay. Uh, so you're you're so... you have that style too. Like you you like having that sort of yeah. um that that sort of uh, uh the style of the seventies. No, is that your? Yeah, I I love that. I, I think because I I really like comedy and and there's so much unintentional com unintentional unintentional comedy in 70s filmmaking yeah uh, you know whether they're trying to be they're trying to be yeah. so serious but it's yeah, yeah. so funny and, yeah. uh, and i think that's that's where film really worked with me is there's such a, a comedy in it uh, yeah. and and a lot of people the art of comedy is kind of uh, I, I personally think it, it has died a lot in cinema and it's really gone into yeah. writing. And uh, visually, visual comedy is really oh, that's rare. A good point. That's and, a really uh, good point. Yeah, it's just so important. Like you could do a, you could do a film with uh, no script and, uh, and very unfunny looking uh, talent and you could make it funny. Uh, right. By, by, so by shoot, shooting yeah. it in a way, yeah. 
but, yeah. but, but, but doing that would be a lot more challenging on digital for me, I think, because, because uh, it's so clean looking and uh, yeah, it's a hard, I don't even know how to explain it, but as soon as it's on film, it just looks funny for some reason. I don't know. There's something funny about it. Uh, <laughs> well, it, you know, like uh, I remember seeing like uh, a, a late night PBS uh, shows, you know, and they would always be, they cut away from the video portion of it just to show a film clip. And the yep. film clip always looked kind of weird and weird and awkward and kind of mm. didn't match the video clip. I'm like, why doesn't that look like the stuff they cut from, especially like something like Benny Hill, right? Yeah. Benny Hill always, <laughs> it always comes <laughs> to some film clip where he's just playing soccer and you just laugh. <laughs> I, I think it might be, I think it might also be the movement, you know, like sort of you can change the movement of film that has this sort of, funny quality to it i guess yeah totally but, um, it, yeah like you said it's pretty hard to articulate why it's funny the way people move on film versus digital i think digital just maybe too smooth and it feels too real you know yeah it feels too real and the other thing with digital is it it, it feels too uh we're, we're looking at digital footage uh all day every day on our phones and everywhere oh yeah yeah and, yeah uh, and so it feels too contenty, like it doesn't feel like it's been uh, frozen in time or it doesn't feel timeless mm. or it doesn't feel like something that you're escaping the world to watch. It feels too yeah. much part of this world. Whereas when you go, when you're watching a movie, you want to escape the world and, and film really, make, really uh, helps you escape the world, I feel like, because, and there's definitely a nostalgic aspect to that, like of, of uh, growing up watching movies shot on film and it, and it looks like that there's definitely that that do you think people will eventually sort of look back on digital and that will be their nostalgia i mean i don't know because i think the only uh i mean how's it going to get any, any more clearer than it is you know until you put like yeah. a vr mask on and then you're like in the movies but then that's just real life and so um i i think the next thing that comes after digital would be something that we we can't even talk about because we can't even comprehend. I feel like it's, right. it'll be something so so far above it, and so I think the nostalgic part will be watching something on a screen. Yes. Right. Well, um, uh, going yeah. along that lines, do you think um, people are sort of going back to film because they're they don't want to go forward with whatever it is that they can't even possibly conceive of? You know, like yeah. maybe people are going back, especially your age group, um, is like sort of revisiting film again. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think uh, I think it's splitting. Like the road is splitting in half, and 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 some people are going down one side, and some people are going down the other side. Um, and it's similar to music, like with vinyl and how vinyls uh, become so big now. And uh, yeah, and you can own that vinyl, and and it's a piece of artwork, and it's yes um, yeah. and it's yours and uh and and you you play it and you control it and and then you yeah. set up your your little system that ha plays it exactly how you want to play it and I, I feel like that's uh possibly where it's kind of the same sort of thing i guess well you've done a lot of music videos so you have a lot of musician friends um mm. do you find do you find like sort of a, a parallel between lo-fi like when you see uh bands playing like 
with a string attached to a nail and they just play that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they, they sort of gone back to the basics as well, no? Yeah, hugely. Like recording on tape and stuff like that. Oh, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Real to real. And so how, I, I think, uh, yeah, I think. It's, how it's hard is something. it to find? How hard is it? I would imagine it very being very difficult to pursue what you're doing in New Zealand, especially even in 2012, it must have been near impossible. Um, yeah, really, really hard, but it made it more exciting and, uh, <laughs> and, it, and it made you want to do it more. Right. Um, yeah, I think that's, uh, that's what got me uh, really into it because I really love to have things that pe other people don't have or I, I, I love like rare things or I love collecting things. I think that changed. Uh, I think that changed the way I make films dramatically. Like I, I thought way more about what I was shooting. Uh, I would think over things way more. I'd rehearse scenes more. Um, oh, that's that's what I was gonna say. Like, you make the most of a hundred feet of film I've ever seen. I mean, <laughs> you shoot a hundred feet, man. Three minutes of foot footage on sixteen. You make the most of it, and I was like. Oh my God, this works. Everything about this works. Well, is this... you got to be like that because it's, uh, I mean, also it's environmentally <laughs> friendly to shoot like that as well. And you're just wasting, <laughs> you're wasting celluloid, but you're wasting your own money as well. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's the best part about it. And then, and then the, other, the other thing that comes with that, which I really thrive off, is the risk that you get. So I, I sometimes will shoot. You know, if I'm shooting a very specific short film or, or music video that has a very uh, uh, kind of specific idea attached to it, then I'll rehearse, rehearse, rehearse and test and test and test. And I'll test on digital as well, which I, which I always bring a Panasonic Handycam with me and I test stuff with that before I shoot it, if I'm being specific and I'm on a tight budget. Uh, but the other thing I love to do, and I also more, I, I kind of do this now, uh, because I've been shooting film for so long is I don't rehearse anything and I don't mm. plan anything and I just sh make it up as I go along on film <laughs> and it's, it's, you get this like adrenaline from it like you're, you're like oh man this, this might not work out but uh, it always seems to work out for some reason because you have all these happy accidents and um, it's, yeah, yeah it's the most bizarre thing that I mean, when you get into the editing room, are you ever stressed out that you didn't get enough coverage? Um, that it yeah. Sometimes I'm stressed out because I've got too much coverage and I and and all the coverage doesn't match up. Okay. And so uh, that's that's usually what happens when I shoot like that. If that makes sense, like I'm kind of like, oh man, I've shot too much random stuff. I should have right. just stuck to one thing because I, I keep kind of building on it once I start shooting, but it always ends up working out in the end uh, once I get in the edit room. And, uh, yeah. I, and uh, yeah, I'm kind of, um, I'm kind of there right now because um, I'm editing a short film that has a lot of dialogue in it. Yeah. So a lot of things have to match with their movement and everything. And it really is sort of, um, uh, you know, in, had I planned it better, there's no way to really plan anything, you know, like nah. I realize even on the big dogs, I'm sure they have everything, you know, uh, kind of drawn out at times. Like even they sort of have a, a sort of, um, 
a plethora of riches that they kind of have to still whittle down. Mm. You know, uh, there's a lot of people who uh, they don't care about continuity. Like I'm kind of in that camp, like continuity to me, isn't that big of a deal. Yeah. Um, but uh, in terms of like getting the point across, I, I actually prefer that uh, to me film in the sense of the limitation of, of film. It's like, you have to get what you need. Mm. Um, and then walk and try to walk away from it being satisfied for what you got you know totally yeah and you can fix continuity with things like sound and stuff like that as well like there's always ways around it because when you're working under under a tight schedule you always forget about random things and if you watch you know big movies that uh nowadays not so much because they just fix continuity with cgi i would say but yes older films uh there's so many holes in them and and they i love those holes because that's what makes it a movie and that and they're funny like you get a laugh out of them and you don't <laughs> judge the film for it because you're like yeah. you know like i remember watching this really funny movie just the other night um it's an australian film uh made with american money in new zealand so okay. it's like a, a bit of a uh, and it's made in 1981 it's called uh Yankee Zephyr, I think that's what it's called. It's a really funny movie. It's uh, it's out of control. It's um, who's the act, the main actor in Blower, that 1966 film? What's his name? Uh, the Antonioni film. Yeah. Oh who's shit! Main... I forgot. It's uh, not Ellen, is it? David not... Hemmings. Okay. Oh, David that Hemmings. guy. Oh, he God. directed it. Yeah, David okay. Hemmings directed the film in New Zealand, and. Uh, and it's about like this American plane that crashed in New Zealand during World War Two, and it's filled with gold. And it's like a, it's kind of like the New Zealand uh, Indiana Jones in a weird way. Like it's very Spielberg uh, okay. inspired, you Ooh. can tell. And uh, the amount of continuity holes in it is so funny. Like <laughs> it's just, I, I was, I, I was in tears laughing. Like this is one scene which, <laughs> it was. It's amazing. There's this one scene where this guy is like in this argument with these people in his helicopters, like uh, about to take off, and it's like spraying all this mud at him, and uh, it keeps cutting back to him, and the helicopter's just not running, but you can hear it like whoa, like like boosting, and all the blood, all the mud flicking up on the guys, and then it cuts back, and there's just nothing spinning. It's just sitting there. <laughs> like, if you were like uh, invested in the movie, you'd never notice because of the sound. Right. But uh, but I I was uh yeah I was definitely not invested in the story. I was invested in the uh, how ridiculous this thing was made. But um, <laughs> yeah, it, it's definitely worth a watch. It's a good, a really really good watch. Uh, Treasure of the Yankee Island or Yankee? Uh, Yankee Zephyr. Treasure Treasure of the Yankee Zephyr. Yeah. Treasure of the Yankees. Zephyr. Hold on, wow. I'm gonna look this up so I get it right. But uh, it's 1981, <laughs> right. and uh, and it's all shot down south. A uh, race for the y Yankee Zephyr. Sorry, okay. race for the Yankee Zephyr. Race to the Yankee Zephyr. For the Yankee Zephyr, yeah. <laughs> and so and you got to watch the trailer. The trailer is just almost better than the movie. Perfect. I um I. I wonder about that sometimes because the intention of the film and the mood of the and the tone of the film. I've been saying this to my to my uh, crew and, and cast. Um, 
you know, we're kind of doing this on the no budget sort of way. And I feel like in the end, it's the sincerity that we put to it that I think people care about rather than the actual content itself, you know? Um, In the end, like if you walk away, I kind of feel this way. And somebody told me this one time, which it didn't occur to me until I started seeing a lot of it, 1980s movies. But um, when people just remember how you walk away from it feeling like they, if they had to go back and dissect why they felt that same way, they'd kind of be disappointed because the middle of of any movie is sort of dragging. Right. Yeah. So, um, and if you feel good about the people that are involved in it and you're invested in the people in it, then nothing you can do will change that fact. And, which is why a lot of movies in the 80s had people in the end cheering, you know, because (laughs) (laughs) speaking, if you cheer at the end, the audience will cheer as well. And Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, kind of makes sense. Um, It's a weird sort of psychology behind that. And meanwhile, the rest of the movie sucks, sucks ass. And, but when they're cheer at the end, you're like, Hey, this movie's okay. So funny. Yeah. It's so true. Yeah, like, it, and I never, it never occurred to me before to do things like that in uh, in cinema. And it's a, what we're really doing is sort of adjusting mood, you know, like mm. when you tell a story, it's like, oh, people just like the mood of it, the tone of it. If you, you know, they like that part of it. And um, I think going back to what you were saying about um, our society in terms of dissecting films now, I think we are a little bit more sophisticated, a lot more um, cynical about it, right? Yeah. Where you watch that movie, um, the race to the Yankee Zephyr, for the, <laughs> for the race for the Z- Yankee Zephyr, they made it just as, obviously, just to, you know, um, make an adventure film, but and also, like, you know, because they probably liked Raiders of the Lost Ark or whatever it was in the 80s that... Um, and and that sort of tone tone of it is what matters. You watch a movie like the canning canning groups make, like uh, Bloodsport or you know um, uh, Cyborg or any of those movies. You're like, this is so corny and dumb. But why do I like it? You know, mm, sure. something genuine about the way that their tonal the tone of it goes, which is like making it with a great deal of naivety as well. You know. Mm. Um, you know in a, on a low budget scale uh that's what that's what it does like we have to enjoy that so in terms of your own projects it seems like there's a real lo-fi uh pop quality to it yeah is that yeah definitely it's, it's that, uh, you just something that I like. yeah. yeah what is it about that like who is it that inspired you to make this type of uh, stuff like what is it that you know you watch that you're like I gotta you know what what was your influences I think French New Wave was like a big influence uh when I first started getting into it um and and then probably the most influential director in my life would be Terry Gilliam I would say oh Uh, I would say most of his movies are the ones that uh, inspired me and his style inspired me as well and his energy that he puts right. into his films 
uh, yeah, and, and, and his sense of humor as well is so good and especially even where he came from like a because he was Python. doing that yeah well i mean like monty python's doing that that they're they're doing in a way back then what was vintage filmmaking and uh and, and kind of taking the piss a little bit um because it's almost like a theater play and uh yeah when when monty python came out i'd imagine people would have felt like it seemed old you know what i mean back yeah. then yeah mm-hmm. yeah so i kind of relate to that a yeah. lot um and he so i mean he suffers through trying to make his movies any of them. oh yeah oh which i relate with a lot like he, i mean he's just been put through the ringer hasn't he i don't even know he's like cursed isn't he it's ridiculous. cursed absolutely cursed but like when he comes out with uh, the last one that he completed from start to finish was probably fear and loathing like without any and even that had a lot of hassles it's like why does he continue right yeah. like why do you do you press forward and you really want to know you it's know crazy isn't it have yeah, you had any, just... have you had any projects that sort of derailed something that you were wanting to do oh like yeah i've got hard drives of footage like that okay. I just, of stuff i just need to finish that i, I never will finish and uh okay but the, the worst the worst uh one was i, I made a, a feature film which was my first feature film i made uh and i made it with some friends and it was like a a, uh, it was like a road film, I guess, of, of these guys, and and it was like a bit of a surf film as well, and it had this kind of adventure story of this this uh, uh, bird watcher who was trying to find uh, <laughs> the world's most rarest bird in New Zealand. Oh yeah, yeah, I've seen, yeah. I've seen clips and, from that. Yeah. Yeah, and it was funny thing because I, I, we shot it and then we edited it and we screened it in uh, we screened it in LA for the first time and then we screened it in france and japan and uh and then uh i had to move house i was living in silver lake at the time i had to move up to santa barbara uh for a bit because i got quite sick with a with a uh, sinus infection and uh, i stopped at a place in silver lake to get lunch i packed everything in my car to to move up to santa barbara and then i when i parked the car park I came back out my car had been raided everything had been stolen oh. and all of my hard drives oh, no. my life's work had been stolen absolutely oh. everything along no. with like a, a Leica M6 with like a Summercon 50 mil on it and I don't know all oh. these uh so much things I don't even know where to start my laptop everything um but yeah that film just got stolen and um I think that's oh. how I met you because oh. I because I wanted to get that film rescanned, but so much reels of it are missing, and uh, which is is classic of the way I made it. Like there was there was reels of it in Australia and New Zealand and in LA, and I, I just well, couldn't I couldn't yeah I could never remake the film again, and right. and there was nothing that I'd uploaded online. I hadn't backed up anything on a cloud or anything. It just right. vanished. And uh, the strange thing about it, though, is I kind of liked how that happened because uh, it kind of just killed something that I didn't think was good. So, you know, maybe people can imagine it was good and that's good enough for me. Because <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, like, yeah. you, that's a Gilliam moment, I would say. Yeah, that's, that's a total Gilliam moment. Yeah, because yeah, I mean, he yeah. had, had a couple actors die. It's like, uh, <laughs> okay, 
And then they pieced it together with as many, like, why did he press forward? You have to wonder what that. Because he's passionate. That, he's so passionate. I call that Matt. Yeah. No, it's great. But yeah, so, I mean, they liked it in Japan and, and they actually made all this merch for it over there. Actually, they made some merch for it in France as well, which is still floating around somewhere. But right. uh, Japan That's loved it. And so I think I'm going to turn it into a book now because I took so much stills on the journey and then maybe some screen grabs from the film and, and then the book will be about the film that never got made and that's what I'll what right. I'll do and then then my oh. yeah my, my first feature can be good then when I can release it's so bizarre because it's like a lot of people will want to see the movie after you make a book about how it never got made it couldn't it got made but it was like lost to the the elements like mm. the, the then people will will clamor to see the actual movie itself right yeah true mm-hmm. yeah then maybe that will uh, push me to finish it i guess oh yeah i mean yeah uh, but i mean that's oh god that's heartbreaking i mean yeah it's hard it's really really uh yeah. it was the worst the worst year of my life i think because it wasn't just that that got stolen it was just everything so many so wow. many things uh I'm, that i and, didn't back up but like you want to come back to LA? <laughs> yeah, I mean I'm immune yeah. to uh, I feel like I'm immune. Anything could happen to me, and uh, and I'll right. just keep going. And I think that's I think that's where Terry Gilliam really inspires me. Like it, mm. nothing can knock him down. He'll get back up and he'll just keep yeah. making films. And yeah, uh, you know, what? a tornado will rip through his film set. A flood will rip through his film set. His, his guys will die. They'll break their backs. So, you know, like. Yeah. It just keeps going. Yeah. <laughs> what is, I mean, you know, like, um, what, where Herzog has that sort of attitude as well. Yeah. A certain madness to getting things completed, oh, yeah. regardless of the quality. He just has to get it done. Uh, Burden um, of Dreams is like my favorite oh, documentary, yeah. I think. And, yeah. that, and that really, like, that moment where he, he talks about the jungle when he's sitting there, he's talking about the, how. <laughs> uh, uh, how like God didn't uh, I forgot the words I think he said something like uh, uh, God decided not to uh, have anything to do with the jungle even the stars above are a mess or something like that something like it's just like hell or something okay so you watch Burden of Dreams but then you want to watch Fiscaldo yeah Fitzcarraldo, exactly right? yeah Fitzgerardo yeah. is brilliant yeah. Yeah, it's like getting that boat over the hill is basically a metaphor for everything we try to do, right? Oh, that's so true. That's a really good way of putting it. So, oh, I, yeah, you know, it's like every struggle in life, especially in filmmaking, mm. is is kind of, you know, a boat going to getting over a hill, you know? Yeah, um, it's you know, true. And it's got to be that hard because that's what people, that's what's dying in the film industry right now everyone's like oh it's easy to make films anyone can make films it's like tiktok comes out you know and everyone sees these in-camera effects like there's this thing that was running around where people click their fingers and their clothes change it's like uh, those kind of things uh are like new to to people and they're like wow that's a cool trick but when you're a Mm. kid and you're making films and you're figuring those types of things out, it's so exciting and it's hard and it's, and you're, and you're having to think and and experiment and, 
And so a, a lot of filmmaking becomes so easy and it's like, I oh, yeah, filmmaking is easy, but it, it shouldn't be, it should be hard. So if it's easy, then you, you're not, you're not doing it right. right. It's gotta be hard. I think. Oh, it's, yeah. it's, it's every, it's, uh, it's physically crippling. It's emotionally scarring. It's everything about <laughs> it is, is awful, but like people somehow um, have it, get it done. And I think, I mean, how do you, how would you describe, like, say a person who wants to go into this endeavor? Like, what would you tell these people, like, who want to get into it when they say, ah, oh, it seems like fun? I think what, what, I, I think I always like to ask um, why to them and okay. get them to ask me why. And if they just say they want to make films, I don't think that's a good enough uh, reason because because these these two types of filmmakers I think and, and one type of filmmaker is the filmmaker that likes the idea of making films and the other mm. type of filmmaker is someone who just wants to, loves telling stories and and that's a medium they like to tell stories through some people like telling stories through music or uh or, or, or poetry or or spoken word or or uh, you know all these different ways of telling stories but if you're a visual person and you like to tell a story through through vision uh, then I think that makes a great filmmaker. Why? It, it all it always comes down to story. That's like the the, the main thing I think. Um, and the, and I then there's like visual arts, I guess, with music videos fall into and stuff as well, which I'm super interested as well. Like I think like I love telling stories a lot, and I love doing that visually, and I love making art, and I love doing that visually, and I love blending them together. Right. That's why I love but doing music videos. It's it's interesting because when I when people and myself included watch your videos, I go, "This guy must be having fun," because oh, yeah. the the videos are very fun. They're lighthearted. They they have a certain joy to them that I I pick up, and I'm like, I I, I don't know. Is it fun to make? Like oh, always. It, I mean, okay. that's like yeah. Okay. That's another thing that I like to have is fun energy on set. Um, but the thing is that not a lot of people would know um, is, is is what I'm actually trying to do is make everyone else have fun on set, and I'll cop everything that's not fun, and I'll okay. cop that I'll bring that on myself. And uh, and if I can't handle it, then I'm gonna I'll push it onto the producer. So I need a strong producer all of the time because I think that if you have high spirits on a set it's going to reflect on screen and that's so important if you if you're that whole day of the asshole director is just i just don't believe in that at all like mm. it's just like yeah. who's going to work for an asshole director and, and what kind of film is going to get made from yeah. an asshole director like it's like i feel like you have to be uh someone that people like uh on set because then they're gonna they're gonna work uh, better and yeah that's really really important so when you tell people like a crew when you're getting a crew together and you tell them hey listen i don't have any plans i just plan on going to the death valley to shoot or going yep. out to the glaciers in new zealand to shoot what do they tell you or taking in your case taking a helicopter out <laughs> or just, uh, yeah i guess it just sounds like an adventure so they're, they're down and so like, let's go on adventure and and that's how i right. pitch it to them like let's go have some fun and uh and we'll just we'll just go and we'll film some stuff and we'll take some film and and you know 
uh, we're not going to be here for long because I'm only going to take 400 feet of film. And once this thing right. runs out, we can't film yeah. anymore. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> like, I'm not taking a digital camera out there because that's the scariest thing ever because we could be filming all day and all night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah so true. I always limit my stock for that reason as well. And I use that a lot when I'm, when I'm bringing people in because I'm like, oh, could I you know i'll hit up a gaffer and i'll be like can i use you for the night here i haven't got a lot of money uh yeah. and they're like well it depends what you want to do and then i'll just be like let's just but fill you, this can of film up and then we'll, then you we'll also, go then you get home. but yeah yeah um but you also take a lot of interesting risks like using expired film oh um, yeah well that's so much fun I love it. Please explain to the listeners what shooting on expired film means to you. Oh, it's just this. It's I don't know what it is. It's like I get like a thrill. I especially get a thrill out of like putting a uh, putting a load of shot film that I've spent you know like twenty thousand dollars of putting these pictures onto the film and, and throwing them into a, a box and sending them from New Zealand to Los Angeles and, and everyone thinks that is the most craziest thing. Like, why would you do that? Especially during a pandemic, it's going to get lost in the post, but yes. I like thrive off it for some reason because I know if it gets lost, I'm going to, I'm going to have to uh, use my creative uh, mind to get myself out of this mess. And that's oh, where my man. most brilliant work comes out because I've had those right. things happen to me a lot. Like I've, I've had film go missing. I've had a, uh, I've had expired film just come out white or black yeah. Uh, yeah. or like covered in remjet. And then you have to experiment. And, and, and the best uh, problem solving you can ever use is, is your brain, not, not money. Like if you're using money mm. to solve problems, it's, the, the results are going to be terrible. But if you use Absolutely. creativity. Absolutely. And then, and then the, the craziest part about that is like I've done – you know, like I remember shooting a clip back in, uh, this would have been a while ago when I was first shooting film around 2013. And um, it was uh, all ruined. We loaded the film wrong. I don't know how we did it. It would have been in the SR2. Um, I was working with uh, cinematographer Karen Fowler. He's, he's a brilliant cinematographer. And uh, it was the second time. No, no, this is the first time in Karen's life i mean he can correct me but uh, i'm pretty sure it's the first time he shot film i mean 2012 and uh he uh yeah it was december 2012 and he um he had a loader that loaded it wrong and it came out i mean you'd know more than me but everything was was uh slightly double exposed does that mm. make sense it was like like shuddery and weird it's okay. just ruined yeah. So we spent all the money, everything was done. And so I had to kind of experiment and uh, make a clip out of it. And so what I did was uh, I used footage from a, um, a, a spec commercial I had made for, right. uh, for a, a company because I wanted to get into making commercials uh, so I could make some money. So I made a, I, I just started making spec ads. That's how I got into doing commercials. I just make fake commercials and uh, send them to people and be like, "Does this, you know, look good?" And I remember using the footage from a spec ad that I was trying to finish and and cutting it into a clip and repeating all the footage because I didn't have mm. much footage because it was a thirty second spec ad that I was stretching right. out to four four minutes. Right. And that's where I kind of. <laughs> and then I was like, "Found your style." Clip. 
yeah, I found my style. I was like, wow, wow. you know, you can repeat footage because, of course, you can repeat footage because they repeat sounds of music and you and and, mm. and uh and then when i figured that out i was like okay cool that means if i can repeat footage that means i can put 80 percent of the budget into one <laughs> shot because yeah, i can yeah. just keep repeating that shot ah, that's a good like, point there's yeah. no point then i can have these really incredible shots that yeah. you know have helicopters in them or have yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. you know big lighting <laughs> setups and uh, the bike, and then i have uh, you had a biplane in one uh, drug dealing. Oh uh, uh, yeah, that's the right. Video. I'm like, holy shit! How did he get a pedal plane? Yeah. And then, yeah, and then got uh, a party actually. <laughs> <laughs> and then you had like, uh, what's her name in a bed that's just floating around in some ocean oh, somewhere? Yeah. Oh good lord! In the Great Island, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what are you doing? It's great. Anyway, yeah. uh, so yeah, you figured that out, and then you you were able to put all the money into the production design and then just repeat the footage. Exactly. And I, and I, and I was like, that's, that's where I kind of found my, uh, my uh, kind of style, style? with music yeah, videos. The aesthetic. And, and I think, yeah. and the cool thing about that is you're not, you're not just shooting all this random stuff and piecing it together. Um, you're being a bit more uh, clever and rhythmic with your editing. And so my mm. editing really became uh a lot different my music video editing became much different to my uh narrative editing and uh and they kind of separated into two worlds one is storytelling and one is visual arts and it, and it became mm. more whereas like before when i was trying to make music videos i'd try to tell stories through them but yes. now it's, just, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's just strictly visual arts i guess i'm not interested in doing a story because you don't need to do a story because the song is the story and so they, they the musician done the job and and it's it's a music video it's not a video music if that makes sense yeah um, no that's a good point so, because yeah. everybody tries to every try a lot of people try to put a um a narrative to their head into the film and mm. and the thing is when we listen to music and the lyrics we piece that story together anyway. Exactly. Yeah. You know? And and there's some you know weird um, people that like to read deep into things. Always pull something out of it. The eye. Yeah. His exactly. Switch, it's orange because because uh, he's in between the green and the red light and uh, yeah yeah yeah. Choose where to go in life or something. Yeah like that. yeah yeah. They <laughs> like that. I'm sure that's what we do with the French New Wave too. We go, hey, you know, uh, Godard's <laughs> Breathless is all about you know, the banality of life yeah. in the reality. He just found footage that he just had that slapped it in and exactly. he had a street, uh, well, you know, uh, John, John uh, what's her name? Seberg, Jean Seberg is like, you know, walking down the street and just, she speaks French and that's kind of cool. But yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, yeah, it's so true. Yeah, and it's great because you've gotten, a, you've gotten a, such a following from people who know your style they instantly understand this is, you know, a Sam Krastovsky style um, in your videos. Uh, yeah, it's funny, like that took a while to come up because I remember when I first started releasing stuff, you'd always get referenced from people. Um, and then, uh, but that's how you got to start. I feel like you got to start by referencing. Um, and that's where a lot of art comes out of it's a lot of people referencing other artists and so a lot of people have referenced 
my work to like say Wes Anderson or, or uh, other yeah. filmmakers that, that like uh, that are attracted to a similar aesthetic or a composition. Um, but yeah. then I would say like look at old Coen Brothers films like uh, like Blood Blood Simple uh, yeah. or uh, Miller's Crossing. Miller's Crossing is a really good example. If you watch that movie that that came out much before Wes Anderson's films and and it just looks like a Wes Anderson film. you can tell that Wes got so inspired by the Coen brothers during that time and see where his styles developed and then he made it his own and uh, I feel like that's like a a thing that you have to do you have to see who inspires you and then you have to uh, you have to be inspired by them don't be scared to be inspired by them because your own style will will come out of that and, and you'll have your own voice yeah yeah um but but yeah like following all the all the great people that are that are above you is so important i think well okay so then to have people reached out to you say and and ask like how do i get started in shooting film yeah or like uh like shooting on film Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. a lot of people do I, i get a lot of people asking me um like I, was, I was almost thinking of uh, of of doing something um, like what what you do, where you, you put up uh, tuitions on on uh, how to just simple oh, things, like just oh, yeah, yeah, like uh, Lo- videos, loading a bolex. Oh yes, right. uh, yes, yeah, just like stuff like that. I feel like there's a lot of tutorial. People... Okay, tutorial. That's it. Yeah. yeah. So my English is terrible, but the. Um... <laughs> That's fine. Yeah, that's perfect. But the uh, the um, oh, what was where was I going with this? Oh, yeah, it see, it, it is life. seen so daunting, and I remember being in that situation where it was so scary to start. And uh, but but I mean, it's it's not hard because of YouTube, and you can just learn on YouTube. Um, and and I would just say give it a go and look at the footage. And I could, if you're if you're a truly into filmmaking, I, I could almost put money on it that you won't go back once you start shooting film. You just won't. That's, yeah. Once you look I'm, at the footage, you will not go back. And and then the money and the thing that it costs to do, it won't bother you. You'll make it work because it's yeah. it's that it's that exciting. I um I say the same thing. That's why I sort of you know kind of volunteer a lot of time, is because I want people to experience it once. And once they experience it, we're again the the metaphor is um, or the analogy is that we're drug pushers, but we're film pushers. You know, yeah. We basically give them a taste of it, and they're like they're hooked for life, right? Yep. Um, I don't think I've ever met anybody who shot on film and just said it's not for them. They were over it. You know, they they've always said like they want to just shoot everything on film at that point. Yeah. You know every single time yeah it's just like uh yeah how do you get how do you get your projects to be shot on film if it's for for like a um a company or a a corporation or something do you explain Uh, to them a certain yeah i think like um it all just comes down to like uh the the if it's enhanced, it's always been comedy for me. So it's like I said earlier about how it, how it enhances the comedy and I would go down that and I'd put a pitch together and, and like I, I would say like for the, 
we did these commercials for the Los Angeles Kings ice hockey team, and we we shot four commercials for them. We shot them all on 16 millimeter, but the but I was explaining to them how the, the, the film will enhance the comedy and they actually let us fully experiment. I, I think we shot, <laughs> we, we shot, uh, <laughs> it was and not only an Emmy for it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and, and we shot that, we, we, we put, we, we pulled, pulled two stops 50D. Right. Which, oh my which God! On, on the exterior, yeah. which, which is out of control. I don't even know how yeah. they let us do it. They didn't even know what it meant. I don't think. And me and Charlie, Charlie Sorok was the DP on it, and we were just like, "Let's uh, let's see how clean <laughs> we can get 50D. <laughs> let's get the sharpest glass and uh, and and do that. And uh, and that's kind of like what we're doing at the moment. We're we're trying to experiment to see if we can match um, 16 millimeter with two perf. Uh, mm, yeah. So we want to get on the Hawk anamorphics and and uh, and then see if we can do two per thirty five millimeter and match it. See see if that that'll match. But I, I love experimenting like that and seeing seeing if uh, if we can uh, find, pull it off. I find like a lot of film shooters and film makers on film tend to want to know how certain things mix and match like i'm doing a lot of experimentation right now for some people who are hand cranking oh, uh, wow. the, uh one that wants to put a anamorphic lens on a three perf camera to see how that would kind of look uh, oh crazy which is not yeah you're way beyond i mean it's, there's a crop factor to that that's not you can't even see that like how are you going to frame that so i'm like okay cool um but they wanted to try that um there's all that kind of i feel like there's so many um, mix and match and different. You can never learn. You can never perfect film. That's the thing. You can't no. perfect it. Yeah, and these just isn't that crazy? It, 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 it's just push, pull, reach back, bypass, yeah. all these uh, processes that you can do. You can even, you know, like there's people who hand process their stuff. Mm. You know, like uh, Mark Jenkins. You know, made a whole feature doing that. Really. With, with yeah bait bait was a whole feature he got he got nominated for a bafta award for really? <laughs> I'm like holy shit yeah on a on a bolex and he he looped he looped all the dialogue and this is something you would find interesting because he looped it and if you watch the foot if you watch the trailer or even watch the movie there's a really bizarre feel to how overdubbing voices on a movie throughout is such a weird thing like it feels weird and funny like there's something mm. funny about it inherently funny that, that oh i love it you know it's so good. Uh, and black and white his film is black and white so i'm like oh my god this guy is i gotta see that what's the film called it's called bait b-a-i-t yeah um mark jenkins is the director he uh man, he's making another film on film and I, I got to see, I think he's going to do this one in color and he may be doing some processes right now with, um, with the same kind of thing where he's just tank processing, you know? So cool. It's insane. Like, and it's perfect for the content of the mm. movie. Like I, I was in, in shock. Like you want to talk about a person who just, you know, hundred foot loads too. It wasn't no 
EBM or SB cameras. He was on hundred footers. I'm like, oh my god, this guy. Wow. Is and he's inspired a lot of other people to go down that road too. Um, in terms of making, and I, you know, I understand in music videos doing that is one thing, but doing a complete narrative on on with that kind of process is, is incredible. So yeah, he's somebody I'd definitely like to talk to at some point. Um, with you know his commitment to uh, celluloid, what is it that you want Kodak to do? Like, what would you say Kodak or you know New Zealand? Does New Zealand have a lab? Uh, can you easily get film out there in in New Zealand or are you? Uh, I think what do you want New Zealand's got the uh, New Zealand has the most recent built uh, lab in uh, in the world i think um okay it, uh, a good, that's a good sign yeah it was uh it was uh i think uh verna winkelman uh from australia from neg, neg lab in australia who's still running uh on the peak seasons uh, yeah. i think he he helped put it together and i think it was built for um king kong okay when they shot king kong in wellington um, yeah, and Peter Jackson put it together, and then they they shot King Kong, and then Peter Jackson, for some absurd reason, fell in love with the red cam and uh, decided mm. to shoot uh, the Hobbit on red cam and GoPro Hero Three, which was a real good move. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then uh, the the lab closed, and uh, and I am the I was the last person. To run film through that lab, I bet Taika Waititi by uh, four hours. I, I, oh. uh, he uh, he did a commercial. Uh, he shot a commercial on Double X actually, uh, and um, Ooh, they kept the lab white. open yeah. in black and white. Yeah, and uh, and I and it was 2013, July 2013, and I slipped in a couple of rolls of a music video I'd shot on 35 as well, and uh, that was the first time I shot 35 mil film, and then uh, mm. they processed it and then uh, then the lab closed and they sent all the uh, film back in the boxes to Curious and I remember checking the boxes because I was looking at the time because I was real I was like I have to beat Tiger I've got to be the last person yeah to, to <laughs> <laughs> and, I, I, and it was four hours I saw <laughs> I was so stoked about it all right it was uh, yeah but um but that lab is still intact it's still there it's all it's all ready to go. They've got an RE scanner there as well, uh, Ooh, which nice. the New Zealand archives have uh, taken a hold of, and they're re-scanning a lot of uh, New Zealand archival film using that RE scan. But um, they, uh, I think they even have a spirit there or something as well. But um, my, I mean, my dream, obviously, which I don't think is possible, but maybe it is, uh, is Kodak develops a. Uh, type of film i mean this is this is pretty uh, a ludicrous idea but i'm sure everyone's thought of it they they, de they develop a type of celluloid that uh is um uh not gonna affect the um environment so much um okay. obviously it can't be biodegradable because that defeats the purpose of film it has to last forever and so yeah. um but but doesn't need to this is where the impossible thing comes out you don't need to process it it's it's a it's a weird thing that you can clip into these old film cameras and mm. you can shoot 
and it has its own kind of weird look to it, but uh, it allows you to to just use all these old cameras and old lenses and run something, some kind of weird tape, like a tape. It's like tape, and uh, and it just prints it straight to it, and then you clip that tape into something else. And and I don't know if it would look look better than uh, film or not, but uh, it would just keep all that gear running. And uh, and I think that would be really a really important thing to do um and if it was something you could experiment on some kind of weird polaroid thing or something i don't know yeah yeah if they invented something like that and then it became cheap and accessible to, to use all this all this really cool old gear uh i think that would be something i'd like to do like to happen i guess um just like those yeah. So, yeah, to keep it as uh, uh, the footprints uh, as low as possible, without yeah. having to rely on the the uh, chemicals that are yeah. involved in it all. Yeah. Yeah, I think that would be like if they could make something like that. Um, that would be really really cool. I think. Um, but yeah, I, I don't I don't even think that's humanly possible. I I have no idea. But um, yeah. Otherwise, just. Uh, yeah. Do you think they should do you think they should promote themselves better overseas, or do you feel because I know like there's a lot of Australians and a lot of New Zealanders who are just trying to figure out how to shoot on film, mm. from what I gather, because a lot of people have there's a couple people who have reached out to me from that area. I'm like, oh, talk to Sam. <laughs> you know, it's like I can direct think, them to yeah. you or to or that, to Charlie. Yeah. I think the thing that they need to do is set up some key locations of places where film is, uh, is popular. Australia and New Zealand, especially Australia, it's becoming so popular, especially in the fashion world and stuff, a lot of, mm, and music yeah. video world as well. Um, they are definitely not shooting features on film around here. I mean, I'm in the process of trying to do that at the moment and it's been really challenging. And uh, I'm basically just having to tell everyone just, please trust me <laughs> because yeah. it's possible. But, uh, but I think if they, if they set up some kind of system where you can send a Kodak, like you used to be able to do back in the old days with the uh, Super 8 cassettes. Dropbox. Send them, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dropbox. Dropbox. And then they, yeah. they'll sort it out for you. And so when you buy the film, the processing and developing is all, it's all in one and, and it's easy and it's, it's just a system and, and they're all over it. And, uh, and they've got, you know, one in Australasia, you know, one in America, one in Europe and, uh, and, and it's, it's easy and, and they just make it easy for everyone. Um, and then the, the, the whole system is all in one, the processing, the uploading, the stock. Mm. So you can always buy stock. The, yeah. the the knowledge is there there's someone to talk to there the, the people there are all film enthusiasts just like a yeah. nice hub and it's got a big giant gold kodak logo on the roof so you yeah. can see it, it was some stuff like that I, I think like uh like if uh you know if like what real good was doing like if they had a Dropbox at real good and yeah. you could go there and uh, and they just did it all from buying stock to to getting it Something like that, I think, would be so amazing. Yeah, to make it easy, easier to um, uh, to to take just one stop shop without having to, you know, do all the research because the legwork is a lot. Like if you have to exactly. do your research, okay, you have to process here, you have to get it 
you know, scanned here. You have to get it colored here. It's like, oh boy. And mm. technically, Color Lab and Spectra sort of have that all in house if you wanted to. Um, but it, it's, I guess it's not as convenient to say like the rest of America. Like, why not mm. set up shops, you know, uh, closer to, you know, home or wherever. But um, in New Zealand, you know, everything has to be shipped out there, right? It has to be yeah. flown in. And that's kind of a, um, a hassle as well, just getting uh, anything out there, I would think. Yeah, it's crazy because I've been walking down the street and going into these old, you know, film shops and stuff. And a lot of them sell, like you can buy Super 8 anywhere here. Like it's everyone, oh, wow. every, every camera shop sells it. It's, it's everywhere. That's um, awesome. Yeah, it's really cool. And uh, and then there's a, a local Super 8 lab that's getting set up. And now they're starting to set up 16mm and some of these oh, shops nice. are starting to stop 16mm now, which is really cool. Yeah. Um, so it's really becoming a thing over here, which is cool. That's great. Yeah, that's a new uh, – it's getting revived in, uh, in that sense. And I, I, I can only hope that people, when they shoot it, again um they they get hooked on it and they you totally. know uh never turn back because we completely you know yeah and um it's such a strange feeling not knowing film would exist for uh for anyone did you uh did you learn film in in college in in film school uh learn how to shoot film uh, uh were you able to shoot film at all in film school no, yeah. we weren't actually. Um, all my film school projects were shot on like mini DV with like that red rock system, you know, with some like right. weird Nikon still lenses. <laughs> but, did any, um, so did anyone ever even ask about it? Like, hey, uh, mm -hmm. it was it was like the holy grail. I remember. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> I remember just being like obsessed with the idea of, of, of shooting film because I just thought it was the movies. That's the movies. Mm -hmm. um, I never knew about any different gauge of film. Right. Um, I always just thought 30, it was 35 millimeter. I didn't know about 16 or Super 8 or 70 millimeter. I just thought everything was 35 millimeter. Um, okay. So I, I didn't really understand uh, what exactly it was. But the... Um, I remember one student in our class, they shot a, uh, a short film on 35. And I remember oh. watching, watching that film and, and seeing the, the, the golden sun reflecting on the, <laughs> the sweat of, a, of, of the guy's skin yeah. and, uh, and, and looking at the skin tones and, and, the, and the way that the, the light, the gold light reflects off the, the sheen off the skin. And I remember seeing that and then they were holding a gun as well, and the chrome on the gun reflecting the the, the light, the gold yeah. light. I remember just seeing that and just being like, "Digital could never do that. It just couldn't. <laughs> it couldn't. Yeah, it just can't." And uh, and it just looks, uh, it just looks like a movie. I just couldn't I, believe how amazing. I, it was. I always feel like somebody. There's always a realization point, like. For me, it was looking at a VHS, you know, in my day, it was VHS versus film. And I'm like, why doesn't my camcorder footage look like the stuff on the, in the theater? And <laughs> it was so naive, right? Because I'm, you know, like nine, eight, nine years old. I just 
couldn't get that, but that was the realization point. And from the people I had been talking to about this, it was kind of funny because they all sort of had this similar realization point where, yeah. um, you know, especially people young, very young who grew up with digital, uh, they just thought that was what film looked like anyway. But if you put it side by side, that's when you're like, oh, okay, something's definitely different. Yeah. You know? 100%. And yeah, also really introdu introducing people to older cinema too, because people tend to watch the newest and the latest, right? Yeah. Um, but uh, for us who go back into the archives and watch movies from the past, um, we're still like, how do we get that look? Um, you know, it can't be, they didn't have digital back then. So you're going to have to figure this out. Yeah, right? it's so true. Yeah, I mean, diving into the past is like, I mean, I feel like that's all I'm interested in now is old movies. It's the same music. I need to really listen to old music. I very rarely listen yeah. to new music. Um, My, um, yeah, the previous, uh, the previous guest on the, on the ashram had mentioned something about she makes movies in the past because you'll never be out of style. I was like, oh, shit, that's awesome. <laughs> like, yeah, like, it's that's, so true. That's though. brilliant. That's so brilliant. I yeah. never thought about that, but that's, that is so true. When I see your music videos, they have this 70s aesthetic. It will always never be like, I'm going to watch it in 2030 and be like, hey, that's out of style. No, it's of the style. That's mm. part of the, the, you know, the, the time, regardless of yeah. when it was made, right? It's so true. It's like putting a cell phone in a movie. Like if, if, you're gonna, if you're gonna put someone on a cell phone in a movie, don't put the latest iPhone. You, you exactly. <laughs> yeah. You, you give, them, the... give them like a 3G iPhone or, yeah. or iPhone generation one, because at least yeah. it's funny, but at least yeah. It's, yeah. you know yeah, yeah, when yeah. it yeah. is. <laughs> <laughs> you go for the you go for the joke at all points right yeah <laughs> well, otherwise you're, you're, send, you're sending your film into a into a area of limbo otherwise because the next 10 years your film is going to be out of date because everyone's gonna be like, oh this guy's getting oh yeah wow yeah and then after 10 years then it will start to become cool oh cool look iphone 12 yeah yeah so, <laughs> so, well, what's the point in throwing yeah. yourself into that 10-year limbo like there's no point yeah because people it'll it'll freak people out because iPhones are such a part of life and so uh, stuff like that like I just don't want cell phones in my films and, and cell yeah. phones cell phones also make life too easy for humans uh, as well I mean if yeah you a cell phone it's just like, you can just call yeah call and help yeah yeah exactly so it kind of uh, it kills drama a lot and it depends what you're making I guess it can also uh, really fuel drama I guess cell phones. Well, any any movie that has people, I guess it's like that that thing is like movies are made to to move. If you're just talking on the phone, nobody's really moving, you know. Yeah. But um. It's true. But it was like so fascinating when she said that because it never occurred to me when we shoot on film, we are shooting on an aesthetic that has been established hundreds uh, over a hundred year years ago, mm. and it's of its you know that will always be um etched in history as that and i think there's something to be said about that like the film that film itself the physical medium of it um and the way that it's made using the old technology also lends itself to the style of of your film um mm. because you are sort of limited uh to how you move in in a in a sense like a 35 camera is a little bit more cumbersome yeah 
So you're limited to how fast you move or, you know, whether or not a shot is, you know, as steady as you want it or whatever it is that it's, it's very deliberate as I I'd spoken to with a lot of people too. Uh, That's why you see a lot of those movies where they miss coverage or they have, like you said, there's empty spaces where they're like, what's this hole here? Like they just fill it with whatever they could, whatever insert shot they found or whatever uh, to to patch it up because, you know, that camera couldn't move faster than the director's brain, you know? Exactly. Yeah. It's so true. It's so, so true. And that aesthetic is is also part of that, but go ahead. I know, I was just going to say, like, it's something else that just reminded me of that, of, of that, and that within that same, uh, on that same subject is, uh, is drones, how much drones have ruined aerial oh. shots, like, they've oh. just completely yeah, ruined them, and, yeah. uh, and so I feel sorry for the people that invented uh, the cine rig, because it's like, the cine rig is so incredible. You, you can put proper glass on it. You can put you can yes. these zoom shots. Yeah. I mean, there are drones that can do this, but they just have such a horrible movement that, that I would never use a drone. And a helicopter, yeah. a helicopter is like a big steady cam in the air, whereas a, a drone is like a Ronin. And, uh, yeah. and, and, and that, the movement's just, it just, it's so jarring and strange. And, and then when I watched helicopter shots in, in 70s films, it's just some dude on a harness holding yeah, yeah. on to this, and it's just shaky. Like, and I was like, that's how I'll do it. All my helicopter shots will be like that. Like, I'll never... And you've had a helicopter. You've had a helicopter shot. It was pretty damn steady. I'm like, how did he get the steady? Is he uh, hanging out the window? Yeah, it's actually pretty gotta, steady. you got to hang out the window. It just looks yeah. so cool. Like, those those intro movies, like, the intro to The Shining, like, the, those... Yeah. These weird, slightly shaky, almost like it, it's amazing. It, it just looks so good and it feels so scary. It feels like a horror movie when you're watching it. Whereas, well, like, if you opened the, the Shining with a drone, it's, it, it's going to look like a real estate video. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah. I was, you know, like, I, it's funny because you're, you, you're, I, that's totally true because I, Every shaky can't like we tried our best. Okay, here's the thing about making movies in the old days. We tried our best to make it, you know, relatively steady and clean and everything else, but that there's an imperfection to that that I think uh humans respond to better than this really septic drone shot, um, which I think is more clinical because they want it, you know, rock steady and the I was like, no, 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 there's no human element to it then, you know? Um hanging out of a helicopter to shoot something <laughs> it's ridiculous I mean, man how much funner is that you get to go on a helicopter yeah. it's like the best no, I, ever. I, I did it once and i was like holy shit well, this is scary <laughs> shit it's like let's go let's go by the playboy mansion while we're at it um <laughs> you know out here in la anyway but like uh you know when you you were able to get out there in the into the glaciers and and shoot that stuff too it's incredible like oh yeah who so does cool. who takes you took expired film and you go oh i'm gonna go out to the glaciers i mean many people don't plan that adventure that full without having all their t's crossed and their eyes dotted you know what i mean yeah like, it's i mean i mean on a glacier <laughs> it, it's the best place you can possibly shoot expired film it's incredible standing on a huge reflector and so you got so oh, much yeah, light. yeah. <laughs> and just, i mean I, I knew i was going to get exposure so um yeah i i, uh, I didn't take into account though that uh 
all that reflected light found absolutely every single hole and leak in my camera that it possibly could have. So right. uh, it, there was a lot of light leaks in that. As much as I taped my camera up, it still tried. It still found its way in somehow. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I love that's this thing I was saying before. Is like that was like a bunch of the budget just to get up onto the glacier and then the rest oh, yeah, of the yeah. stuff. I kind of yeah. and, and it just makes you know, and then I but can also, now repeat these glacier shots. <laughs> also, like okay, so I guess you could just you know in digital you can shoot it and look at it and say okay, well the white of the cat the snow is a little too or the ice is a little bit too blown out i mean you didn't it didn't seem like you even you were like okay the highlights are going to hold in film and it most certainly did like the color there's like a color that comes through the ice yeah, yeah. like yeah, this green, blue green kind color. of yeah. yeah blue green yeah look. blue like, green holy yeah shit. this is incredible and then the highlights held there's no clipping no cra- uh, no clipping i was like oh my god this it's, yeah, it's clearly should have been out it clearly should have been out like well, out. the the craziest part about that is which which this makes this whole thing even more ludicrous um <laughs> the day before i shot uh i i shot that on i needed to use zoom i needed to oh. use motion control zoom yeah uh, so i needed to use a motion control zoom and and uh and i i didn't want to take like you know, i didn't want to take a big camera and all I can get hold of up here is, is an SR camera, which they're just so big and annoying to use. And uh, mm-hmm. and like throwing a zoom lens, a PL zoom lens on that and then attaching a micro force to it is just, you don't want to carry that around on a glacier. Uh, yeah. You've got no crew. So I had to shoot it on a Bolex. And okay. so, because you got crampons and it's cold and it's dangerous and, you know, you can fall through crevasses. And, um, so I... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I got I got the the the, the Kern uh, what is it Switzer uh, with a, yeah, the zoom sixteen to to one hundred with the motorized zoom attached to it and uh, the one that I had uh, the the aperture had just completely uh, broken so there's a little pin that's a, that is attached to that little aperture because uh, it's not the the aperture ring's not around the around the lens it's like a little separate unit on the side yes yes and, um, i just got one of those but go ahead it's the the pin inside it that's attached to the thing that opens the iris up and down it snapped and so you just couldn't set your exposure and so <laughs> even the markers were gone i didn't even know what it was and All so right. <laughs> uh, I, I bought a, a donor lens from the US on eBay so I could okay. put the system into it and make the lens back going together. I didn't even know what I was going to, I didn't know how I was going to accomplish this, but I was just going to guess. And uh, I sent it to my, uh, to my parents' house in uh, the South Island. I was shooting down lower South Island and uh, I sent it to their house because I don't have an address here at the moment. And, and I thought they'll grab it and then I'll get it off them and I'll whip down here and shoot the stuff. And, uh, and I remember the day before shooting, uh, it hadn't turned up, uh, it, it turned up, sorry, at my parents' house and I was in the other end of the country. And uh, I was like, how am I going to set exposure? I don't have any idea. So I, got, I got my mum to take photos of each exposure setting of the iris. And I just looked at, at it and I was like, oh, the iris. And it's this weird diamond iris. It's like a, it's, it's a real weird kind of like, blazer. 
and I looked at it and then I just stuck my thumb <laughs> into the lens and then like, like it, adjusted it. it. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, all right, I'm I'm guessing, guessing right. the exposure on a glacier yeah. on expired <laughs> with my pinky finger on my thumb. And I somehow got it right. And then I was like, all right, after that, like film is just <laughs> That was ridiculous. I like how your mom was involved too. She's like, yeah, "What do you want me to do now?" It was so ridiculous. She said, she said "If you get this wrong, don't blame me." And I was like, oh. "Right, that's but, awesome." Uh, yeah, it's pretty funny. On a glacier. <laughs> <laughs> On a glacier, it's sticking my thumb down the the lens, and yeah, it's ridiculous. It was so ridiculous. I actually shot the whole clip uh, on the sixteen millimeter side of it. The whole clip is shot all guests, all the exposures are guests. It's from me looking at uh, my uh, my mum's I mean, pictures. I have to, I have to say, <laughs> I have to say it, it, it might be the best exposure you've gotten so far <laughs> with, the, with the expired, with your expired film. Because I was like, wow. And now I hear the story, I'm like, really? Like, I didn't, I, I didn't do anything. Like, when I was scanning, I was like, I didn't do anything. It was just popped in. I was like, funny. wow. It's the EXR, the EXR, uh, the, the 7245, that's the best, oh God. <laughs> the best stock ever made by, uh, right. by Kodak. It's just yeah. uh, all my favorite movies are shot on that, like uh, or Jurassic Park, is, they, they shot a bunch on that, didn't they? And, uh, yeah, yeah. 100T as well. And they wanted that fiction. fine grain. Yeah, Pulp yeah. Fiction for sure, yeah. Pulp Fiction, I think all the yeah. interiors of Pulp Fiction are even 50D. Yeah. American. the whole movie is, is 50D. It's 50D, yeah. He just shot it with 50D. Um, oh, the the, so the cool. DP on that, uh, Andres Sekula, I believe, was the DP on that. Um, he shot basically all his movies on 50D. Like American oh. Psycho is 50D. That's all 50D. It looks so good because you have to pump so much, so much light in. So much, yeah, because they shot Scope. They shot uh, Adam Warfare. Wow. So it's like on top of 50D, they're shooting anamorphic. So wow. it's like, oh, glory. So you just like, really, I mean, it must have been, those sets must have been you know, so hot back oh, then. Oh, yeah, you, notice, you well. notice that You notice that footage is all like hard light, mm. which is something I miss too. Like, I not many people shoot with hard light anymore. Yeah. You know? It's so true. And, uh, and, it, looks, and it looks good. I guess that's why there's yeah. not much blonde people in uh, Pulp Fiction, because... Uh, It'll blow out. When you, when, yeah, they're, they're, when you got, it's it's really hard to shoot uh, blonde people when you're boosting light into their heads because uh, yeah, it goes, it gets white. It almost comes yeah, out white because exactly, it's blown, yeah. yeah, it's like blown out and and um, especially if you have a black character uh, next to you, like let's say it was uh, in this case it was Sam Jackson. It's like oh my god, they would take. You know, but I mean that and scope. I mean, oh God, that's so much to have to to consider. But fifty. Okay, so the forty-five. Did you end up getting that sixteen from that uh, U.S. seller? Yes. Yep. Okay. Yeah, I got so that. You and some thirty-five. I think we we found as well. But oh, Charlie shit. bought oh, yeah. it, and uh, yeah, he's got them around at his house. So I'm really excited to shoot that. Oh, excellent! You guys had that fifty-two twenty-nine as well. The Expression five hundred that yes. uh, Charlie shot. That looked great. Yeah, it's strange. It's, it's very green. Uh, it, it's got a real green look to it, doesn't it? And, oh, uh, but it's fine. Like that's right. Yeah. Like when I looked at it on the histogram, I was like, "That's." I mean, that's in the middle. Yeah. Whatever really, you really cool. Yeah, I thought for but sure it's... it would be like magenta. 
Well, that stock we found, yeah, that's something that always comes through with those old stocks. Uh, the tungsten stocks, those old tungsten stocks always get this magenta look, don't they? Yes. Um, the the um, the Expression Five Hundred that we found that batch of film uh, that was actually leftover stock from CSI Los Angeles. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and we, we we bought that was the last of it, and we've been shooting the the old the short ends and, and old stock from CSI Los Angeles for a, a long time now, and a, and a lot of it was a Vision 800T that we got as well. Right, and uh, the, the guy we bought it off was in, uh, I think he was in the valley, and he had it in his garage for. Uh, yeah, that's what Charlie 20, was saying. 20 years or something and yeah. not in a fridge just sitting yeah. in this hot cooking garage in the valley yeah. and i don't know how how it survived it's just beyond me it just it doesn't even yeah even the rim jet came off it like you think it would just be caked on like, yeah i've got fuji that's like 15 years old that's been kept mm-hmm. in a fridge since it was bought and I yeah. can't get the rim jet off it. Like it's, yeah. it's all stuff. <laughs> yeah. I, I, the development of Kodak is just remarkable how mm. resilient it has been. Like I, you know, that's why, you know, they don't put um, expiration dates on their film because they assume that you'll shoot it right away. That's what they told uh, me. Interesting. So um, not that you should store it at all. You really shouldn't. Um, uh, but we all have, I mean, you have a, a stash you've been hoarding some of that fuji and the you've been hoarding some of that kodak as well huh like yeah well i have one of the rarest rolls of film on the planet i have uh, a fresh unopened 16 millimeter roll of uh of aerochrome 1440 oh no that's you yeah that's me i've got that i bought that uh it was uh it was richard moss's he was using it for his project in the congo and okay. uh, and he had it held uh, left over through this guy Dean, I think, who was in Germany, and uh, and I just hounded him to buy it, and he let, he let me buy it, and uh, I've been offered three thousand dollars for it so far, <laughs> and I, I'm too scared to shoot. I don't know what to yeah. do with it, and uh, I, I think I want to go to Socotra and shoot these weird uh, trees in Socotra with it because I think right. Uh, it, oh it my deserves, god! It deserves to have a really good, uh, a good run because I, I, I don't even know if there's any of that left in the world. Like the stills. Is the, I like I know a guy who has some film, like motion picture aerochrome, but he refuses to sell it. Oh, um, please! Refuses. <laughs> I want to buy that. If you want to pester him, I'll give you his information later. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll pester him. Yeah, he'll uh, be. Uh, you'll probably get in trouble for passing the con- contact. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I know you always, I, I feel like you will use it in good spirits. You know what I mean? Like, mm. um, then that's one of the best things about, you know, also film as we trade, like it's, you know, it, it's, it, it's, it's such like a, a good wine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, Hey man, you know, yeah. no, I love, um, I love talking film regard like all sorts of emulsions mm-hmm. and they develop this stuff is so fascinating like mm-hmm. the way they put this thing together is just amazing i was just telling um a actually an australian uh guy who is super into film i go uh you know What's when a feature 
his name i i don't know he just i he, he reached out to me <laughs> he reached out to me through instagram oh uh, cool so um he uh i okay so I go, you know, in the old days, they would uh, tell you, they would ask you how much you want, like if you're shooting a feature, they'd ask you how much you were shooting. Then they would cut the entire film on one sheet of film so that all your film matched. Mm, that's right? Cool. That's super cool. They don't do that anymore. But like back in the day, all your film had to be matched because it was, they wanted consistency. Yeah, um, it's so cool. It's incredible. Uh, and yeah, it'd be cool to, and now, you know, because of technology, it doesn't, it's not that crucial to match your emulsions, mm. you know, because, yeah, uh, true. people can color, you know, I mean, that's the other really cool thing about film is like, you've got these, you've got this weird limbo period of digital where, uh, like you have these, these films, like what, what was that shocking camera that star wars episode two and three were shot on that sony what is it it's like a oh uh Cine alta. it's like a Cine Cine. alta yeah like then, uh yeah. viper the viper maybe it was a vi- i can't quite remember uh something 500 it was something 500 mm-hmm. um can't remember but uh you you look at films from that from the era or like public public enemies i think is, yeah is that the movie with johnny depp yeah yeah, um, that's, yeah that's it you watch those movies and they look so bad. Like, yeah, it, it's terrible. It's they look yeah. Anything shot on a red one or, or, or those, or those early Sony cameras. And then you've got these criterion releases where they, where they, they can get the film and rescan it. Yes. Yeah. To anything you want. And it looks yeah. better, way better. And it's shot in like the sixties. It's, yeah. it's crazy. It's incredible. Like, it's right. Like a, yeah, you have so much more option with, with how you want to, uh, once you shoot film, you have so much more option after it, especially if you shot, like, say, 70 millimeter, like, you can do anything with that. It's really it's, quite cool. It's really bizarre. And also because people, and I've been saying this too, people think that film is going to look like what they remember it looking like. It doesn't look, you can change it now. Like, mm. go ahead and revisit your footage. And, you know, again, the... Um, uh, guest on the show she was like she shot on really fine grain because she wants it to be to have that longevity if she scans at a 12k or uh, 12k later on in life it's like it's still gonna be super sharp and modern looking you know yeah um because totally. it's so clean you think about all the film stocks that they used to shoot back in the day it was in that range it was like 25 asa mm. um you know 58 at best 100 asa you know that was considered yeah. a fast speed film back then um so yeah i mean you revisit any of that stuff at any point uh, uh because we have the hardware to match that now now with the uh star wars stuff like uh episode two and three which is shot on digital it's like you're done you're stuck what are you going to do yeah it's true yeah. you can't do anything with that like uh no yeah I, I i don't even i mean yeah some of those I would have rather shot on uh, on DV because at least it's got some character. Like, uh, yeah, yeah, what, what's, yeah. that, what's that Danny Boyle film? Um, yeah, 28 Days Later. 28 Days Later, yeah. It yeah. looks cool. I love that. Yeah. It looks yeah, really, it's got really that, cool. Yeah, it's, it's perfect for that aesthetic, right? Yeah. It's perfect for that. And so, like, I, I don't – I think I think a lot of people uh, 
especially in the high budget world, maybe leaning again more towards film again because yeah. of that, because of this sort of like longevity of the image. Um, granted, if they cared about the content, right? Mm. Um, because some people don't care. It's just, you know, a hamburger, you just eat it. it it's not, you know, healthy for you, but you just fill yourself up. But yeah. like, I think, I think that it's really, it, people are starting to care about their content again. They're going to want to shoot it on film. And a lot of people who started out on film or, or started out on digital are, are doing it just so that they can get to shoot on film. You know, Damien yeah. Giselle started digital and then he, he was like quick to jump back onto film. He's like, you know, uh, got to get back on film, you know? Yeah. And those people, are, uh, those people are so, uh, that's so essential to keep it alive. I feel like, like what, what what they're doing, like when these new movies come out now, like uh, uh, Quiet Quiet Earth Two. Yeah, Quiet Place Two. Uh, yeah, Quiet Quiet Place Two. Yeah, um, it looks so cool. I, I yeah. love that. They, yeah, they're trying to too. they're trying to keep consistency with that too, and mm. um, and and that movie of all things, like how do they convince them to want to shoot on film? You know what I mean? It's like. Yeah. That could easily be a digital movie, easily. But Krasinski, easily. The, the director, was really very, and 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 also with Charlotte, uh, the DP on the first one, she was very. She's a film person. Like I had, I don't. She's only shot digital for TV, but like uh, everything else has been on film. And I'm like, how did she leverage all these movies she shot, you know, strictly on film? And I, I can't can't wrap my brain around it. I'd definitely love to talk to her about how she got, you know, production to, um, you know, shoot on film rather than mm. digital because those aren't, those were like gamble movies, you know? Yeah. Um, it wasn't like, it was a sure thing. Now it's a sure thing, but back then it wasn't, you know? It's so cool. And the, the thing that really stuck out for me on that film was on, on Quiet Place too, was the night scenes, how the night scenes were lit. That's so, so different to these digital night scenes where, you know, they comp, the sky and it's this weird mm, day tonight yeah, yeah. because these cameras can see so easy in the night and it's gotcha. so weird looking and yeah. uh, it doesn't have a vibe because you can see too much in the night and, and that defeats the purpose of night I feel like because night is so much more scary when you can't see into the blacks mm, that's a good point so yeah. much better with a horror and uh, yeah. and these new horrors that come out you can see everything and you're looking around it's yeah. all blue and moonlight looking not as scary and not as vibey and not as cool and, and it's also and kind of flat like a lot yeah, of it's flat, flat. it's real yeah. flat and it's too blue like the blue's not a nice a nice color it's too cool like the, these other ones it's, it's just uh it's the colors that you're actually seeing and then it's black like it's really nice looking. like a real black yeah it's a real black yeah and, yeah. and i like that so much more i love those I love those night scenes, you know, where you get big light, big lamps and you put yeah. them ages away and you, yeah. you know, you got those sharp edges and those sharp shadows. And, and uh, Yeah, because a lot of um, a lot of production now will shoot, you know, even if they do shoot film, they'll shoot night on digital, mm. you know, because they can see that deep and they don't have to spend so much money on light. But um, yeah, there is definitely a distinct difference. Like that's a that's I'd never considered that. And that's really true that uh, with digital it's like you can see way too much um uh into the shadow and it's like wait a minute black is the the darkness is supposed to be what uh causes the the 
anxiety, you know? Yeah. Totally. Um, and with film, it's like, you don't, it, it picks up like this, this almost like, uh, darkness that it's, it's so great. Like there's so much, just a little bit of, just so good. Like film yeah. black is so nice. You know, so so nice. Yeah, I really really like it, and, and it's glossy. And, yeah, super glossy. And, and then even VFX when when CGI is is embedded into film, it, it's so much more believable. Like yeah, uh, you look at and like just bringing Lord of the Rings back as another example again. If you if you watch Lord of the Rings, the CGI mm-hmm. looks so much better than the Hobbit, and the Hobbit uh, is shot. They should it should be so much better. Cause it's all those so many years later that they should be a better technology, right. but the, but it still looks better on Lord of the Rings because they had to, they had to shoot film and they had to, you know, build mm. puppets and real things and then mix it. You know, it's like Jurassic Park as well. It just looks so oh, much yeah. better. Oh and yeah. The new, the new yeah. Jurassic Parks look terrible compared to the 1993 one. Yeah. Like it's a, yeah. Well, uh, dra- the new one that's about to come out was shot por- uh, partially on film. Oh, uh, really? Yeah, the Jurassic World 3. Oh, uh, it's got all the, main, the same actors in it, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And um, uh, I did a bunch of the Canadian stuff. Uh, and then they took it somewhere else to do the rest of it. But, like, yeah, they shot a substantial amount because the DP on that, uh, John Schwartzman, He's he's a proponent of film as well, you oh, know. That's so cool. And, yeah. and the Jurassic World two was on digital, and I did not like that movie at all. It was bad. Yeah. 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 It's but, so uh, true. You know, I, I you know maybe again it's like because I know it's in my mind and I'm like okay whatever. Yeah, that's another um, part of it. But I mean, if you watch like I actually I just remembered what that camera was from uh, Star Wars, the F nine hundred. Oh. Really? Sony or what? Yeah, Sony F900. That was what it was. Wow. And, and it's not even digital, digital. I think it's some kind of tape that goes in. I mean, I could be wrong. I shouldn't even be saying this on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but then you, you look at that new one that uh, JJ Abrams did that came out. Yeah. Uh, and that was all shot yeah. on 35 millimeter. And, and it yeah. looks so amazing. And it's like, yeah, it's how, did they, how did George Lucas go through that weird period of he did film really fast which is surprising <laughs> oh he was I mean, quick to I, film. yeah it's weird i mean spielberg doesn't know he sticks to it doesn't he He's oh yeah yeah stays. like uh, yeah. a west side story is all film and mm. uh i mean he he himself i mean he shot one movie on digital i think it was hugo no that's that's scorsese right wait hugo ah oh, shit i think that's scorsese um but he shot one digital film i believe and then he was like uh the same for me so mm. yeah. it's like um spielberg's got that famous quote um the, uh what is it the most ex- uh expensive habit in the world no the most expensive habit in the world is celluloid not heroin <laughs> and i need my fix every year <laughs> that's great oh that's great I think, I mean, I, you know, regardless of how you feel about his movies, a lot of people just, you know, kind of, but you know, the new Indiana Jones is going to be on digital. And I, I was like, why, how can you do this to yourself? Like mm. it's a, it's a period piece to begin with, you know, 
Yeah, I think just remaking it, 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 you asked the same question. It was already a bad idea. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, it's already yeah, it's already a bad idea. But like, (laughs) I I I was like, I mean, you know, the old the first three were all done with really hard lighting, right? Um, yep. and film, film definitely holds hard light. I, I feel better than digital does. Oh yeah. You know, and, uh, and now you're going to give yourself, if you try to, uh, copy that style, you're going to give yourself a little bit more, um, uh, issues. Like you're going to have some, but maybe they're not going to go that direction. I don't know. Yeah. Who knows? I mean, so. as soon as someone says they're remaking Indiana Jones, it's, for some reason, just does not excite me. Well, but, um, this yeah, is the fourth. In, this is the fourth installment. Let's just put it that. Four. Like, it, mm. yeah, it's number four because, yeah, or five. No, it's five because, uh, yeah, I forgot the the Crystal Skull one, which was really bad. But um, oh, that's right. Uh, but anyway, so like, yeah, the digital stuff. Um, I just, I don't know. Have you ever shot digital at all? I mean, I do all the all my. Uh, like recently, maybe. commercials. Uh, recently, I actually just did a music video that we shot on the mini, and um, and we had to do it because it's the fastest music video I ever made, ever. And it was for this uh, Australian band called Pond. Um, they um, they uh, are like a little uh, like a side band of Tame Impala. It's a, f- a few of the members from that band, and they hit me up ages ago wanting to do a clip and I couldn't do it because I was too busy because I've been in the middle of writing over the past year and um, then last minute I was like oh hold on a minute I haven't released anything in a while I need to kind of make myself a little bit current again because I've been so deep writing I've kind of forgotten about uh, actually making stuff and um, right. so I just did it last minute and so we didn't have time because we're in New Zealand to shoot film so we uh, pre-production started on the Tuesday. We shot on the Friday. I edited it Sunday and Monday, uh, sun, Saturday, Sunday, and I delivered it on Monday. So we, from uh, from making the clip, um, uh, from getting the idea of the clip to giving them the clip on a file was less than a week, and uh, that is the same to me that's like shooting on film because i'm putting myself under heaps of pressure heaps of time restraints heaps of Mm. problems and so that's what made it fun you know what i mean like i had to make digital fun somehow (laughs) i I was like all right i'm gonna really restrict myself with time right now and and because i i've only got two days to edit this i'm not gonna uh i'm not gonna shoot a lot i'm gonna shoot how i would shoot on film and it was okay. quite a fun experience, but I didn't like how it looked, uh, right. just because I kept thinking in my mind, if this was shot on film, it looked, yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of people, yeah. I, I love the commitment. I totally love the commitment. Is there, um, okay, so you have the Bolex. Is there a Sync Sound 16? Oh, yeah, the 416 that Charlie shoots with. Yep. But yeah, is there, have you, are you ever thinking of acquiring another camera at any point or is this it you're just going to use me the and, tools you have uh, me and charlie both have the uh 435 we bought from zach spiger yeah um, the two perp the two perp yeah that's the only uh claremont built that camera a few years ago i think it's the only two perf 435 uh advanced in the world i think 
Yeah, I've never seen one. Yeah. Um, that camera is really, really cool. Um, I personally want to buy an Arton um, just because I love them. And I think that they're, they're my favorite cameras ever. Mm. And um, 30, 35 or 16? 16. 16, I would say the XTR, is that what you call it? Yeah, the prod. Yeah. I just love that camera. I mean, I just want one for myself, even if it's just like I use it every now and then, but it sort of just sits um, sits around as a thing I can, you know, experiment on. Like, and I would rather use the 416 if I'm going to shoot shoot so, uh, something. But yeah, here's here's the okay. So if you get on, I, I'm on American eBay, so I don't know how it is in New Zealand eBay, but like. Or even Europe, eBay. Let's say it. I rarely see an Aton for sale uh, unless the Prod, the XDR Prod, or the XDR. Um, I see a couple of Aries, right? So somebody's hoarding these cameras somewhere, or somebody's not. You know what I mean? Like I, I'm always suspicious of like what's going on with people just holding onto their cameras. I mean, I, I'm guilty of it myself, but like. I'm always kind of curious, like where, what are these people doing with the camera? Like well, if it's not I out heard in the a hand. story recently Ooh. of a guy who um, was in New Zealand and he, um, he met a guy by chance who was selling like a, a lens on uh, this website we have here called trade me, which is like New Zealand, New Zealand's eBay. Okay. And uh, he went around to the guy's house and, uh, and checked it out. And uh, the guy had a full SR1 kit, all the lenses, oh. absolutely everything, completely mint condition, all put in, a, in a, uh, a Pelican box. He sold it to him for 2000 New Zealand dollars, which is around 1500 <laughs> American. And uh, he bought it back in like the early 2000s because he wanted to make his own movie. And he never okay. got around to it. And then he just didn't think anyone used this stuff anymore. And so he's like, oh, yeah, take it. I mean, who's going to use that? I think that's where the cameras are. They're, 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 they're in people's wardrobes and stuff because yeah. they, <laughs> those people don't think people use them. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's what I mean. I know they're yeah. holding out on us. They're holding 100%. it out on us. Yeah. And we need to find these people. Like, uh, yeah. Yeah, they're they're around. I remember I remember meeting one in Australia. Um, I bought an old tripod from this guy. He had a, a mint condition wooden Miller tripod from 1972, brand new, the most beautiful tripod I've ever seen. Wow! And uh, he was selling it for 200 bucks, and uh, <laughs> and I was like, oh, I need this tripod. That's like that's incredible. So I went around there, and he had a um, crazy amount of lenses, filters. Uh, and he had wow. uh, an, an, a clear uh, a camera, um, and um, um. he. Uh, I didn't buy much of him, but I think I bought a bunch of filters. He has a bunch of uh, uh, Tiffin Series Nine filters. I bought with a with a uh, adapter that goes on the front of a, a front of a seventy-two uh, millimeter thread. Yeah, but oh. um, I. Um, I remember being like, this guy's probably got a lot of stuff in his garage. I think I was in a rush or something. I don't know, but I should have really had to pop my head in there and had a look what he had. Yeah. He was a documentary it's, filmmaker from the 70s. Really old it's guy. That, that's what I'm, 
that's what I think is happening is like a lot of these guys, you maybe I think you may be onto something here with where they're just sitting on their gear, not thinking that anyone's using this stuff. Or yeah, they've just forgotten about it probably as well. They may have an emotional attachment to their gear as well. I find I find uh, that there are a lot of memories associated with the gear we use, and especially with filmmaking, right? Where, yeah. you know, oh, I found this in a pawn shop in 1975, and I, it comes with memories. So when you sell yeah. that, you're almost kind of giving your memories away, like selling your memories a little bit. Um, totally. Again, that might be, like that. Yeah, yeah. I, I know every time a camera goes out of my hands, I just it does feel a little bit kind of sad. There's a sadness to it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I've definitely got too many bollocks, but they've all got some <laughs> kind of story attached to them and I don't want to give any of them away. Yeah. But I don't, I don't need them, but uh, I'm like, Oh no, this is the one I learned on. This is the one that I took to Middle East. And this is the, <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. 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 Like that. Yeah, exactly. You have uh, memories that are attached to those cameras and I don't mm-hmm. know how many, I, I think the people who are just keeping them may have that sort of similar uh, attachment to their gear, especially something like an SR1 or even like an Eclair. Um, yeah. Those have a lot of history to begin with, you know? Yeah. Um, and a lot of people, you know, it comes to when people have to pass away before you find the treasure trove of gear um, that people are holding on to. Because uh, a lot of times when people are selling, they, they go, I don't know, I got this at an estate sale. Yeah. And it's like, it's like pristine. It's like they've never even, you know, and never even saw the light of day for like 20, 30 years. So, oh, yeah. man, that's at the estate sales. Yeah, there was a, a guy I met in New Zealand recently who, um, he was selling four Eclairs. I think I sent yeah. it to you, didn't I? The Camplex. Yeah, you did. Mm-hmm. The four Camplex. What ended up happening with that? I just don't know where to put them. So I, I didn't want to buy them. I, 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 I know I probably should, and they're still there. They would never sell. Um, I just, um, I just don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm in limbo myself a little bit because I'm, I'm, uh, I'm coming back to the states at some point. But um, oh right, yeah, yeah. So I don't really know where I, where I put it, and, and I've already got too much uh, uh, camera gear stored at my parents' house, and they'll, they'll just. They'll just get annoyed with me. I think if I send them another one. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, I know. Yeah. I have. I I can barely walk in my own place because I have so many crates. So <laughs> I've ridiculous. seen that. I've seen that. <laughs> so sad. So pathetic. Because I have like film on top of that too. It's like, oh god, it never oh, ends. Amazing. Yeah, but I mean, again, I may start to kind of. I've been trying hard to sort of let film cameras go now just because it should be in the hands of people that are going to shoot it and not just yeah. collect not collect cameras totally which, um is the worst thing i can possibly do is just have cameras sitting around not being out there shooting every weekend yeah um, you know so um but again there's also multiple purposes for cameras as well because one could be a parts camera um you know, if some something goes wrong or whatever, because you can't find good thing. You can't, yeah, you can't find parts for those things anymore. Hundred mm. so. percent. But uh, anyway, uh, so what is your advice for somebody that's starting out? Um, I guess um, the 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 thing that I always kind of stick by um, 
is just take one one big risk um, and and just just do it. I think that's the thing. Like, don't think about it too much. Just mm. do something. Yeah. Uh, and just get over that hurdle of shooting something and looking back at it, no matter what it is. Um, and then release it and show people. And then once you do that, then you're on your way. But, but yeah. sitting around trying to figure out the right thing to do and trying yeah. to figure out how to do it and try to just, yeah. it's a waste of time. Just do it, yeah. do it tomorrow. And, uh, yeah. and, and the, the other bit of advice I would have to say would be um, don't uh, try spread your small budget over the whole film. Put it into something that you want to do. Have a dream shot that you want to try, pull off or execute. Put it into that. Waste the whole budget on that. Just spend it all on a helicopter. Shoot a helicopter <laughs> shot. And then you'll have no money left and you have to figure out how to do the rest of it. And that's right. where your true creative creativity will come out. Wow. That's um, brilliant. Man. Like yeah. I, again, that goes back to also the statement of having the crowd cheer at the end because you're left, you're leaving the everything on the table, you know, you're kind of mm. um, in the case of like, committing to one shot that is so people are just going to wonder how you got the budget to do that. Nobody else remembers everything else around it. Right. Yeah. exactly. They don't remember all the, the corners you cut to get the rest of the film done. You just, man, that's brilliant. That's so brilliant. So man. True. Yeah. yeah that's that's the a good idea. I, man, I, I am so stoked to having heard that because I'm like, I'm always like spreading it out, right? Like a yeah. oh, little there, little there. No, no. Just the the main thing is the is the uh, people will it will be memorable. It will right? be memorable. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And like open on that and close on that. Yes. And, uh, correct. And, and and you and you've got them, and then you've got them again at the end, and then they'll 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 be invested from the opening shot, and then they'll be <laughs> from the last shot. Yeah. So, yeah. It's yeah, like your that. your projects definitely have a lot of people talking about it. It's like what the <laughs> a plane? He's in the plane now. It's a drug, <laughs> you know. It's that kind of stuff that you you're so uh, again to pay you full compliment. It's like you definitely got a gauge on what the audience is thinking and and seeing and and rem- remembering. Yeah, you know? and I think that's something you really need to keep in mind is. Um, a lot of people get really caught up on trying to make something for the industry and um, and impress impress their fellow filmmakers but you're making it whenever I'm making a film I'm always thinking about my dad because my dad has the worst taste in films and I'm like, I've got to make something that that, he, that he'll watch. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and yeah. If, I can get, if I can get him engaged, then uh, I've succeeded. But uh, yeah. But if I can get like you know my nemesis engaged, then I don't, I don't, you know, I'm not. That's a good point that. too. Yeah. yeah. I, I, and I've mentioned this before. It's like, let's stop, let's stop making projects for ourselves. Like our, why? But I mean by ourselves as the industry, right? Mm. They'll see all the problems. We get it. We know. Yeah. You'll see the, all the problems, nitpicking stuff. If I make it for my mom or my dad, they're the audience. It doesn't, you know, they're the audience that will 
are basically know nothing about the processes, right? Exactly. The process it, right. So yeah, yeah that's, uh, that's a really good idea. Like make that's it for normal, just, normal yeah. people. That's why it's it's bad to get hung up on critics because uh, they're just criticizing because that's what they do as well, you know, and that's what they want to do. And, yeah. Uh, and so there's no point getting getting upset about it. Just just do the next thing. And that's the that's the other thing is is um, keep doing it. If something becomes tainted, this is another piece of advice that I always stick by. Like a like uh before uh for example like before covid hit uh we had a sci-fi film that we were going to shoot and it was all locked in and and i was really excited because it's going to be my first time to, to make a proper feature film that that was something i wanted to make and we had everything all set in we we even had budget and everything uh all locked in and then the pandemic hit and we had to put it on hold and uh now i've moved into a completely different project but that project i'll never revisit and, and I don't care that I put a year into that script or more. Uh, I just, you just kill it and you just move Ooh. on to the next one. Just, wow. Just fresh, fresh ideas are always better. There's no point revisiting something or getting hung up on something. And it's the same as if, you, if you've edited, if you've shot something a while ago and you've, it's just not working and you're trying to finish it, you're sitting on a page, just move on to the mm. next one. It's just going to slow okay. you down and, uh, yeah. and, and drive and, you crazy. It's yeah. going to drive you crazy, but it's also going to, also going to stunt your creativity a little bit because you, you're getting you're getting stuck in the past. I like just move forward and take take what you learn from that and 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 uh, and use it as a lesson. That's like uh, I've got drives and drives and drives of unfinished and unedited stuff, and mm. uh, and they just listen. I'll never finish them. Right. I'd like to finish, but. Yeah, they just uh, you just learn them to when you do your big project, and uh, and then when you do your big project, then you, you've got all this, uh, you've got all these lessons you've learned. That's a really Another great, really... That, that's really great advice because a lot of people are haunted by the stuff they never completed, right? No, that's just good lesson. It's film school. Yeah. that's film school. Yeah, yeah, that's that's, that's crazy. Like I, I know, I know a lot of people just like you said, they were hung up on not finishing a project but they, they didn't once think that they took they should have taken a lesson from that you know like you know what i mean like they, they just and there's something to be said also about when you were talking about fresh ideas and fresh um uh the the energy that's behind that project the more you hammer at it the less um the less energy that that's involved it's like somebody who does a hundred takes of something it's just yeah. you just spent right it's so, so true. um the first or second take is always the the best and move on and, yeah. and, you know, stop trying to uh, flog yourself over every, everything, follow your instincts, you know? Yeah. Well, the cool thing about yeah. that is if you, if you get into doing that and you get into that mindset of being able to throw stuff in the bin and, uh, and not be affected by it, um, Ooh, that's it, the it, it become, <laughs> it becomes a, you become so much more of a secure filmmaker and uh and that's so important because then we, because you're gonna come across these uh, uh these challenges when you're making a feature film and you're gonna be attached to an idea that mm. you really like but, right. but because you change something in the first act now that thing in the second or third act isn't going to work but you right. love the idea it's so cool it looks cool yeah. or it's really funny can't... or it's really scary 
yeah. but it won't doesn't work now because you've changed the first act and so you get you start trying to move the film around that idea and then right. you just creating a world of problems whereas if, you, if you're if you're used to throwing stuff in the bin you just chuck that idea in the bin right and and, and, then, and work towards what's good for the story and uh and then the other thing is like if you watch a movie and someone else else has done your idea in the movie you'll become the type of person where you get really upset by something like oh no <laughs> i had that idea it should never yeah. be up it should never upset you just come up with yeah. another idea uh, <laughs> and then like it's like I used to get so upset about that stuff. Like I would watch a, I remember watching movies as a kid. Uh, I, I made a Lego movie as a kid, which was my dream movie. Uh, and uh, I made this half an hour long stop motion uh, Lego film. I must've been mm, about 12, I think. And uh, it was Aliens versus Cowboys at Daniel Craig film. It was, oh, it was the yeah. I, identical <laughs> storyline yeah. but i i came up with it first i thought and i remember when that daniel craig film came out i was so angry because i was like when i grow up this is the film i want to make one of my aliens versus cowboys and i remember when that movie came out being like i'll never be able to make that now yeah and, uh, and getting so like upset about it as a, as a kid <laughs> yeah it's, it's it's so ridiculous but um <laughs> as a kid <laughs> so, as a kid might have been like i'm gonna grow up and make this movie about aliens versus cowboys but it was the same yeah. story like a cowboy finds an alien gun and, and uh, it's aliens versus cowboys but um yeah I, I feel like uh if you become immune to that uh then uh yeah, then you become immune to, say, a city like Los Angeles, which runs like that. It, mm. it runs to tear you down and, and, and yeah. pull you apart. And, uh, and you need to be, uh, um, yeah, it's a hard place to, if you, if you didn't grow up there or if you spent a lot of time there, it's a hard place to move to Yeah, because of that. Yeah, that's There's a good. A lot of talented yeah. people there. <laughs> yeah, that's a great, um, that's a great piece of advice because it's like, um, too many people uh, kind of derail themselves because mm. of this, you know, where they are so fixated. And I understand because our, our, I've met so many people who are just so determined and per, you know, perseverance to them means something different. It sounds like to you, you know, where perseverance just means keep cranking out content that you feel is worthy of, of your time, uh, regardless of, you know, uh, whether or not somebody had already done the idea before, don't let it frustrate you. Yeah. But perseverance, perseverance to a lot of people in America seems to be hammered until it becomes molded to your, to your will, bent to your will, which it should never be because if you don't, because you're going to have a really tough time doing that, you know? Yeah. Totally. Um, which I understand. Yeah. Again, I completely understand that mentality and I, and yeah. I feel bad for people who, who suffer under that, you know? Mm. Totally. It's, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a hard thing to, to, to get over and, and, and accept that uh, it's such a fast moving industry that you have to, you have to adopt that. And, yeah. uh, and another thing, I think another piece of advice I would say, which is something that me and Charlie do is, is find your, if you're a director, find your DP, uh, find mm. a DP that, that, that you work with. And, and if you're a DP, find your director because that is that is such an important and then also other other key roles as well are also really important but dp director is such an important thing i think if you're a, if you're a visual director to mm. have 
And when you find that DP, uh, shoot every week. Like if, if me and Charlie, we try shoot something every week. Even if we don't have a project on, we'll, we'll take a camera out and we'll shoot a you know a roll of film, no matter what yeah. we're shooting, and experiment and shoot and, and enjoy it and and have that instead of going to uh, instead of going out at night and spending your money on alcohol, uh, spend it on celluloid and 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 do that and, and have that as your as your fun thing to do. I think that's yeah. really important. Like, make it fun. Make it your playtime. And uh, yeah, and, and, wow. And that, yeah. that'll keep you a kid, you know. Yeah, that's yeah. that's incredible advice. Because yeah, that's it. It'll also, you know, keep you on, you know, oiled. Uh, it'll it keep you sharp. oiled up. Just keeps yeah. you sharp. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, that's that's the, that's great. Because you know, this town also has this mentality of just distractions you know there's yeah. plenty of distractions here Huge um, distraction. so make your distraction basically your you know the stuff that you do don't make it work make make it yeah. like you said fun you know and if you if you if you if socializing is part of your life then bring people in and help and, and make it a party you know because they yeah. love it they love doing stuff because there's so much bored people in LA as well yeah, yeah. And it's, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's always like trust fund kids that just yeah. sit around wanting to be actors and just begin. I think <laughs> I probably should, uh, but uh, yeah. the, uh, the, <laughs> it's the same in Sydney as well. Sydney works, <laughs> yeah, I don't know what to do, but um, the uh, the um, the other thing, oh, what was I gonna say, uh, that I think. Um, uh, it's it's gone from my mind. It might it might come back in a sec. All right. It, it, it might come back. But DP director relationship. Um. Uh. Fine. Fine. Go out and do stuff regardless of uh, partying or socializing. Make socializing your. Yeah. Um, oh, I can't remember yeah. where I was going. It's something I had to say. It'll come to me. It'll come to me. Yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean. Yeah, it's. It, I I personally feel that um, this is incredible advice to anyone who is listening right now. Don't you do not need permission to do what you're doing. Just do it mm. because the whole idea of like you said earlier, doing it right, planning, trying to do it is never gonna. You're never gonna get it right. You just yeah. have to go out and do it and be flexible. I realized. Yeah. Um, man, you learned it so young though, because I, I'm just learning this now. Uh, you know, we don't have the budget to do certain things. Okay. So we have to do with what we have. Uh, I was the thing that made me most miserable being, uh, working on movies back when I was working in production was that I, it, whenever it was not in my head, I would just, just get so upset. I'd piss, mm. get pissy, get shitty, get you know, you know, grumpy and uh, it just, it was toxic uh, yep. in that term. But I just realized what you said is just perfect advice is like, you know, being able to be flexible yep. um, with your vision. And I know a lot of people can't get that out of their head, you know, mm. when it's stuck to them to be able to throw yeah. it into a, a, the bin if they need, they need to um, in yeah. order to move forward. Otherwise you're not going to move forward. Exactly. You know? Oh, I remembered it. I remember now. Yeah, what's up? So uh, all the, the basics of filmmaking, um, of storytelling, like uh, where you place a camera, you know, like the, 
the, all the rules of filmmaking of how to make a story push forward. Um, and it's like, it's like walking. You know, when you walk, you know where you want to walk from A to B. You know how to do that, and you don't have to think about it because it's muscle memory. You don't have to think about yes. putting one foot in front of the other because you just it's muscle memory. So when you're shooting every week and shooting all the time, Mm. A lot of the basics become muscle memory like that. And, and you need yeah. them to become muscle memory because a lot of thought process of, oh, yeah, what, where's the eye line? And then you're mm. thinking heaps or where's this, uh, where would you put the camera here to, to show, to, to show the, where the direction of the story is going? Or, or, or I'm not really explaining it right, but um, like a, how do we make these two people look like they're communicating properly or how do we look like how what kind of a shot do we do to get this person from a to b right. it all becomes muscle memory you don't have to think about it you're like hey oh, camera goes here you just know and so, right. so you right. just right. pick the camera up and you drop the legs just where you need to drop them you don't have yeah. to think about where to drop the legs yeah and uh that's real important because that makes you move really quickly yeah, and, uh, true. You, you don't have to think and go, oh, hold on a second. Where would the camera yeah. go? Yeah, because that, that then, burns a lot of, yeah, that burns a lot of uh, brain brain cells. <laughs> yeah, and then, well, then you're taking your brain cells away from, from things that are actually important, like, uh, well, I mean, that is also important, but things that are really important for the, for the, the picture, which is like the composition and the lighting and all mm. that kind of stuff. And, and yep. that's, you know, once you nail all of them together, then you're going to nail the scene. And I think uh, yeah. making all of those, all those things like, you know, crossing the line and all that kind of stuff, and just making that something you never have to think about, just making yeah. muscle memory is really important. And, you, and you'll naturally just get that from shooting every week. You'll yeah, just pick it yeah. Up. It, it becomes natural to you. Like there's no, yeah. yeah, it just, yeah. The muscle memory idea is so brilliant because it's like, um, if you sit around forever and, and that's what the biggest problem was, was I was sitting around not doing anything. And then I was like, dude, we got to pick this shit up and just go shoot something. I don't mm. give a fuck what it is. Let's just go shoot something. Um, and it, I never could figure out why I was doing that, but it's exactly what you're saying is because if you, if you don't use it, you're going to lose it. Yep. You know, like 100%. you're going to start to not uh, and you do it, lose it quickly. It's like a very quickly. Yeah. Like yeah. I, I feel like I lost it a little bit writing the past year. And then I got, I got back into it or, or like if I make too much music videos, I remember in 2018, mm -hmm. um, I don't know how, but somehow I made 42 music videos that year. And uh, oh my God. the, uh, <laughs> almost one a week. <laughs> almost almost one a week. Yeah. It was really quite crazy. One of them, uh, one of them, I made 12 uh, music videos all in one hit. <laughs> Uh, uh, it, that I did them all in two months, and um, <laughs> and that was all for the same album. I did a music video for every single song on the album. But I remember that year, looking back at my old narrative work and my old short films, and being like, "Oh, whoa! Like I knew so much more about storytelling for me because I was so caught up in music videos, and it's such a different right. format. It's so much more visual arts." And, and I remember being like, oh, I need to start shooting narrative again because uh, I'm steering away from it and I'm, I'm losing my muscle memory of narrative storytelling. Yeah. And, uh, and so then I'll go, okay, now I'll start making short films again. So I'll make short films. And, uh, right. and I very, very rarely release my short films because 
all they are is uh, me training myself. Right. Uh, yeah. And then every now and then one will pop out and be like, oh, it's kind of cool. So I'll put it up in my Vimeo, but I'll never like send them to uh, to to festivals or anything because they're, they're just a little personal experiment for me. It's like a, right. I, pr- I probably should put them in festivals and stuff sometimes. But um, yeah, your last one was really fun. The one in the uh, in, out in the middle, like the guy running. Oh, finds yeah. Home. That's fun. Yeah, I think I think that was short ends from uh, the lighthouse. Oh, was it the double X? Yeah, yeah, yeah. double X. Yeah, I I, uh, I I went into to real good and got bought a bunch of short ends from that movie. Um, oh no! Nice. And and I'm still shooting it, shooting it in my stills camera. I loaded a lot of it into my <laughs> Nikon. Yeah. And it's like Whoa. cool because I love that lighthouse movie. That's like one of my favorite movies in recent times i think it, it's unbelievable that it didn't get as much attention as i thought it would you know mm. but yeah. i get it like it's not you know it's it's very hard unless you have the subtitles up because i can barely yeah. understand the language but uh, it's fun, yeah. you know it's funny once i i could understand but yeah those are th- incredible advice sam incredible incredible advice that i can't uh, i mean it's so inspiring it's like you you get jazzed to want to make a movie now i hope people are listening (laughs) like because i said that again with um you know my last interview uh i was like every time we talk about film i just want to go out and shoot again oh i I want to right now as well (laughs) so it's great right yeah yeah Yeah. so i mean that's the purpose of um to get everybody else excited to go out and make their movies as well you know and there's so much so many people Every time Kodak posts a video, I'm like, I've never even heard of these people. Unbelievable. Mm. They're out there. So cool. Doing it too. Yeah. So it's like very cool. And again, this is like, um, uh, we're all sort of connected in this way, you know, uh, that our common, our commonality is, uh, is, is celluloid. And I'm always curious what the reasoning is, is behind it. And, um, it's so I cool get- though, and it's so cool you're doing this, like this podcast and stuff. Like, uh, I feel like there's going to be a generation of movies shot on film over the next ten years, and you're going to be in all of the thank you credits. Well, no, no, no. <laughs> I, I personally, if, if it was me, I just like listening to people talk about their projects and stuff, and like all the, and you know, I, there's a there's a sick side of it that is like, oh, I've done that before. Oh yeah. God, that was terrible. You know, like when I just looked at it, like, oh man, I hated when that happened uh, to me, and it's still happening to me. You know, you, again, like you said, I have to be more flexible with these uh, certain things. Um, yeah. And just talking to you right now, because I just got out of editing my short, um, kind of hammering at it, yeah. as it were. Uh, and I was like, just listening to you talk about that, I don't feel as bad about the segment that I have that has been nagging me right now. I was yeah. like, wait a minute so yeah you know there's a way around pretty much anything in uh in like you said visual arts you know totally yeah and, 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 and it'll be something unexpected and, and it'll yeah. be it'll surprise you and it'll be cool and then you'll love it the mo- you'll probably love that i mean those challenges always become the parts you love the most because yeah so satisfying true. to overcome them true do you think um do you think people shoot on film because they're they feel like they're overcoming um a major um a hurt like a, a major obstacle to them like shooting on film yeah, is very mysterious. I, I think yeah. so there's like that aspect to it i think especially with smaller gauge film and then uh and then low budget and indie film i think that that comes into play 
but then uh then i think for for, for bigger stuff uh it's your crew just works better on film and, and you noticeably you you notice it so much how different yeah. a crew works on film everyone talent everyone works so much more efficiently uh everyone's so much more quiet on set like a, a, a film camera is better than any first AD. It shuts it yeah. down. It, it, it's, yeah. like, it, it's just, yeah. Yeah. If, if, yeah. That's, uh, that's just... I, I, you heard it here first, people. <laughs> a, film camera, a film camera is your best first AD. <laughs> that's brilliant. 100%. Yeah, no, it's true. Um, I, I like... I like the fact that we, even on set, we will talk about shooting on film. I don't, I'm not sure people on digital shoots sit around talking about how oh, it's wonderful shooting on digital. No, um, it's almost like... <laughs> I know. In, uh, Michael uh, Bay does maybe, that. I reckon he maybe? does that. Yeah, probably. Yeah, <laughs> probably. But I was like, you know, with the film side of it, I'm so like... I'm so willing to listen to anybody who is even remotely interested in, in wanting to shoot on it, you know, or fascinated with it or feels in the term, in the, in the case of actors, I feel like, uh, you know, like I'm like, you know, I, I wouldn't film you unless it was on film because that's how, you know, it's almost like I, I'm telling them that's how much, how important they are to me in that yeah. sense, you know? So that gets them really jazzed to do, you know, be real serious about the content yeah. um, versus on digital where people just go, ah, do it 50 times. It's fine. By then I'll remember the lines. I was like, yeah. oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then you can see that tiredness in them as well. It's, it's, you got to get the, it's, it's the first three takes always the best. It's, it's like the, yep. this, the life just starts getting sucked out of the talent (laughs) and you can see it in their eyes it's all in their eyes and so i feel like uh when you when you start the shot uh you start on a close-up and then you got to just keep going wider and wider and wider because you got to get further away from those eyes because they're just losing the light yeah (laughs) (laughs) you're doing the hundredth take they're like way in the distance and you're just gonna have to use adr yeah 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 (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so what's next for you sam what's what's going on man feature so the, yeah feature is like the script. main thing uh i've, I've finished the script and I'm, I'm just pushing really hard to shoot this in new zealand in the south island all remote locations uh on 35 millimeter miles away from any lab that's basically what i'm, I'm trying to trying to do something um really traditional as well on a really minor crew and use all the skills and techniques I've picked up from doing short films and music videos right. um, and, and just do something that's uh, that's timeless. That's like what I'm doing. I'm not, I don't want to fly back to Los Angeles until I have a, a feature film on a hard drive or the rushes to a feature film mm. or, or, or a huge big Pelican case filled with celluloid that's got my film in it. Right. Um, and and I'm coming and knocking on your your door, Tom. Yeah, I think that's a that's like my goal. I'm like, there's, yeah. there's been this big pandemic, and uh, and I know I know I can do this, and I'm gonna do this, and um, and I have to just do this long form thing. And, and uh, I've I've compromised my life, I've compromised things in my life to to get myself into a position to to do this and. I think that's just what I'm putting all of my energy towards. But at the same time, 
this year I've also done a bunch of music videos which will be coming out soon. Uh, one of them I just finished actually uh, where uh, I shot it all on um, expired uh, reversal black and white film, uh, some Tri-X and some, uh, I think it was called uh, Plus X. It was an old oh, one. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I had that all hand processed by a guy uh, who lives in the jungle in New Zealand. He's got this like lab in his garage. And um, <laughs> he, uh, he sent me the black and white film back and I painted the color, hand painted the color back into the film, um, frame oh, by frame. <laughs> and uh, it took me like six weeks, I think, to do that. Yeah. And uh, I think I need to. to to wear glasses now because yeah, my eyes yeah. are broken but uh, <laughs> uh i'm excited to put that out i think it'll be really good it's the oh, last man, time i, I do yeah. that though. <laughs> yeah you, i think yeah you sent charlie and i a message he's like uh that's the last time that'll happen oh man so full on but i mean like the shooting experience was really easy and the editing experience is really easy but yeah the painting on the film part was a uh, it was really, really, really challenging. Um, <laughs> right. But, yeah. I, I, oh, man. I, yeah, you showed me a, a, a rough cut of it, and I, I was like, oh, my God, this is incredible. It's going to blow people's yeah. minds. Oh, I can't um, wait to release it. I think that'll it's be animation. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, it is. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, dude. Yeah, thank you so much for talking to me about this, man. I'm, I'm so – I was feeling down about the editing just because I was like, oh, okay, things aren't right. And, uh, you know – Talking to another film guy. Feel good now. That's, good. <laughs> yeah. That's how it's supposed to work, right? That's how it's supposed to work. And and, and yeah. you're not you shouldn't feel good about it editing, I reckon, when you're first editing. You should always feel that it's it's a really good uh, it's a good feeling when when uh, you know that you have to fix a problem, I feel like, because it's like it's just finding that solution for it. it's always stressful, isn't it? Right. Yeah. Yeah, like we're we're looking at it really uh, so intently that we forget what the the base of it is, you know. Mm. Like you you can't see the forest through the trees or yeah. is that how it goes? Is that how it goes? Yeah. Um so uh yeah, it just it was good to uh, just take some time to chit chat with the person who also shoots on celluloid. So, oh, that's cool. Yeah, it was I really enjoyed that chat. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks a lot, Sam. Yeah. No worries. So good yeah. to hear from you as well. You too. Hey, be careful out there in New Zealand, and uh, let me know when you're back in the States. Absolutely. Take care. Yeah, cheers. Bye. All right. See ya.